1: Welcome to another episode of Remap Radio. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and this is episode 25, a quarter century of Remap for November 17th, <laughs> 2023. Today we are joined by Ricardo Contreras. You know,
3: people say that podcasting is is easy. Anyone can do it, but we take a full year for each episode. <laughs> you know, we really put in the work here. <laughs> uh, speaking of putting in the work, Patrick Klopek. Uh, And I'm hoping
2: by the time I get to 100, we'll put out a good one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And helping us try to reach that lofty goal, (laughs) Janet Garcia. Hello.
0: (laughs) Uh,
1: So as always, we are a a listener-supported show. If you enjoy Remap Radio and wish to become a supporter, you can learn more at remapradio.com. Uh, our website. We're working on other website names, though too. We are. We we have we have investigators out in the field, uh, seeing whether even even more impressive URLs could be acquired somehow. Our website has links to our memberful page, where you can sign up for monthly or annual plans to give you access to exclusive remap content and help help keep us going as a team. Uh, Patrick. I wanted to start off today. Uh this was this is this is kind of news. So it's also something you listed as uh something you've been sort of engaged with uh this past week. The Steam Deck OLED. Now, you know me, one of the surest ways to get me intrigued by something is you just stick OLED on the name. <laughs> just like BAM, it's now OLED. But then I realized like I like the idea of the Steam Deck, but I didn't make as much use of it, I think, as you did. I think you're an actual Steam Deck user. And so I'm curious, as someone who isn't going to be dazzled by the idea of, like, an OLED display, what you make of this new thing.
2: Uh, yes and no. Uh, so, yeah, last uh, last this on this podcast, right at the end, was just <laughs> me going, ah, fuck. Ah, fuck. They announced a Steam Deck OLED right in the middle of the recording um and uh managed to get in touch with with valve and was able to acquire uh one of my own uh, i think as we're recording this i think pre-orders are starting uh for folks to to check out the the steam deck oled is it is not a more powerful uh steam deck in the sense that it's not going to run games any faster or any better they've Valve has been pretty clear that that is coming. They intend to do a steam deck too, for lack of a better term, but they're waiting for what they they're calling a generational leap, and they said that those chips don't really exist, and that is probably at least two years off. But what we get in the meantime is something that has that's I think it's only five percent lighter, but in my own experience, it feels like that five percent is <laughs> like really meaningful. The steam deck is a beast of a device uh, it's, it's it's mk's heavy. love affair
1: with it ended over the course of one weekend when she realized she was getting muscle tension headaches in her neck from holding in front of her oh. it, like it was just like the little it's bit of difference in well it's not a little bit of difference it's significantly heavier than the than the switch mm-hmm. yes but it's the thing that creeps up on you because you don't realize that like there's sort of a, a muscle engagement happening and there's a little bit of like strain until like you have a couple long sessions and then suddenly you kind of you kind of wish this thing didn't weigh so much uh or that you could like put a little kickstand on your tummy.
4: <laughs> I mean, oh you God. can if you just put like a pillow under there or like a squishmallow or like a that's what I do. Y'all holding the Steam Deck? Couldn't be me. <laughs> I I will not hold that thing. I I don't even hold my Switch. I barely hold my controllers. Everything's propped up. I'm just sitting in a pillow.
1: Incredible. You need that I, 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 I like Janet doesn't <laughs> hold things, people. <laughs> no.
2: No.
4: Some kind of schmo, you know, come on. Like
2: I like <laughs> the idea of a lap dog for your own about. lap. Um. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's not for a mouse and keyboard. It's for a, a portable device to, yeah. <laughs> to be alleviated. But that so I like I've I not had neck problems from holding the Steam Deck, but I know that is like that's a that is something I've heard from people, even with the Switch, where for as light as the Switch or the Switch light, which is even lighter than the standard Switch um, or Switch OLED, if you were playing a game for hours at a time, like, that is going to cause strain regardless of the weight of the device. And so 5%, like, I'll report back on how that feels over the long term. But I, I was, genu- like, genuinely kind of shocked how – like, when I have both – Uh, devices off. I was kind of using them side-by-side to get get a sense of them. Um, They don't... uh, uh, Valve didn't send me the, like, special edition that has, like, the clear plastic where you can see the internals of the device. So they more or less look like exactly the same thing. An OLED screen, you know, can have a glossier look. uh, But, like, when the lights are dim and they're sitting on the couch next to me, they more or less look exactly the same. But I was able to differentiate between the two... like sheerly based on like picking them up it was like, Oh wow. Like I can notice that one is, is different that 5%. My guess is will pay dividends, especially if you find yourself strained on, on using the device. The, um so the older thing is funny. Cause you're right, Rob in, in theory, I am not, th- not the type of person that is going to be swayed by like a particularly better display. I'm I've never heard
1: out- you talk about black levels, nor do <laughs> you, I think you even know what a crushed black is.
2: No, um, it looks blacker than the average black, like, uh, whatever, but like, <laughs> a part of it is like, I try to, I try to, I try to, I try to don't, don't excerpt that, like, like, <laughs> as soon as I said it, like, damn it.
4: I, I did have that <laughs> thought as well.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, you know, uh, we're all, uh, my wife has COVID. I'm blaming you on that. Uh, and, uh, it's, uh, it's not the thing that I would like would seek out. I, I didn't seek it out with the Switch. I was fortunate enough to have one show up in the mail. And yet, if that thing was to break for some reason, and my, my my toddler threw it across the room, not a chance in hell would you find me with it. Like, there are times when I play the original Switch with my kids, she got that as a hand-me-down when I got the OLED. Disgusting. Like, who's <laughs> using this? Like, get your life together. It couldn't like, be Find me. the pennies underneath <laughs> the couch and... Uh, but it's... It's, I, I, what I sort of mean to say by that is something that at first glance, I don't think makes that much of an impression, but over time you come to appreciate like how much nicer of a display that is. And why that's important to me personally is because increasingly I play games on portables. I like my primary device is probably more of a Steam Deck and a Switch than it is a PlayStation or an Xbox. Um... I, and or like attaching a backbone device to my phone to like stream something over remote play. I I increasingly find myself not playing on bigger screens, playing on smaller screens. And once you make that transition, the display is suddenly way more important than how you would normally treat it if it was a tertiary device. If it's a B, C, or like D level device in terms of what how am I gonna play my games today? Well, then suddenly like OLED takes on like a much bigger level of importance because it is becoming the primary it's not oh the tv's being used i'll use this for the next 10 minutes it's well the tv's always being used or like is being used for other things or like i'd rather have sports up on the tv than a game if i'm doing like two things at once and so let me paste i uh i am not digital foundry um go elsewhere (laughs) for your scientific uh, really I think you'd be, yeah, be more
3: surprised I think you'd be more surprised if you wore a digital foundry this whole time <laughs> Patrick's <laughs> digital foundry
2: oh my God.
1: Patrick gets poached less than a year in a remap by digital foundry of all people
2: uh, but if I if I, you know uh, this is a photo of the two devices side by side overnight the, the top is the original Steam Deck okay. the bottom is the OLED and I think even in this like highly unscientific you know uh-huh took a picture with my phone, you can tell just how much more vivid, how much more colorful that display is. And it's like all the more impressive when you actually have it inches from your face. Um, it's a really, really impressive display. It's like, if it kind of leaps, like part of the thing that I, how I describe OLED in like the, like the least scientific terms possible is it feels like it kind of leaps off the screen because of, the brightness and the combination—if you get an HDR display, which I don't know if does the Steam does the Switch OLED have that doesn't have HDR, right? Because the, the the Switch doesn't do. I don't believe HDR, so. but I don't. Yeah, but the the Steam Deck does. Um, and so I don't know what combination of factors, but it basically leads to as I as I was describing at the end of that podcast. Uh, if I don't get one from Valve, like I'm going to just go buy one because that display on its own. Seems like it would be, it would make my day-to-day gaming experience meaningfully better in a way that that is worth the $500 in change. Because it is, frankly, more important than buying a new graphics card or any other ways that people, uh, lots of other folks, like even on this podcast, would improve how they play games on a daily basis. And then you combine that with, the battery is, they're saying like 30 to 40% better, mm-hmm. like in practical terms, like that game Jassant. I, that game... It's a beautiful game, but there's nothing about it that suggests to you, oh man, I I better be on like a 4080 in order to like get the most out of this. Like it's not a technically impressive game. It's an artistically impressive game. And I don't know if this is a combination of Steam Deck being on at this point. Well, it was released two years ago, which means the hardware itself is three years old, right? And whatever optimizations Valve is doing, they're important. But it's a game that like runs hot and is getting an hour and 20 minutes on yeah. the Steam Deck. Um the game another game on that uh same display is Thirsty Suitors, a game that is not technically impressive, has an incredible art style, gets an hour like gets 90 minutes on the Steam hmm. Deck. Now, if you are a Steam Deck diehard, you can like th- look, people have found ways to like really maximize the juice on that thing. You Valve lets you get into the like Un, like into the nitty gritty of like how it handles processor speed. Uh, 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 the way like you fans. are relating
1: to your electric, your semi electric car is yeah. how like <laughs> uh, steam deck hyper milers are getting mm-hmm. into like stretching out that battery life.
2: Well, and it becomes a question of like, can you turn a game that gets 90 minutes into a game with two hours without with like tweaking a bunch of things in the back end that ultimately don't make that much of a difference yeah. for your play experience. And, I don't because I'm largely sitting on a couch. I like this isn't a, a portable device that's leaving the house. It's a portable device that's being charged next to the TV and then goes to the couch or my bedroom or occasionally in the car. Um, but like a, a, an hour and a half, like an hour and a half versus two hours and twenty minutes, and then you start extrapolating that for games that can otherwise get five hours. Well, suddenly maybe they're getting six and a half. Like, that's a meaningful yeah. uh, difference in terms of battery life. And, frankly, more important to me because I can just run a cord and and charge the device while I'm playing it. So, the original Steam decks that came out, it was a crapshoot on which fan you got. Um, basically, mm. there were, like, different types of fans that were being installed in the devices. And different ones were louder than others. I don't know if I got the loud one, but mine is loud as fuck. And... It turns on on every game, just blast. And you can tell why it's on because, like, you can feel the heat distribution. Like, I will be playing Jusant, and, like, once I'm 10 minutes into it, you can put your hand over the top of the Steam Deck and feel, like, oh, yeah, that I see, I understand why the fan is on right now <laughs> because I think this de- device might melt. It doesn't distribute to the rest of the handheld. So it is, it, and it's not as though you're gonna burn yourself, but you can feel the device d- doing its business and like why that fan is on. On this, there's like improved, again, like read the technical version somewhere else. What I can tell you is it's so much quieter. It doesn't seem to engage nearly as much. And so what you end up with is this device that is feeling increasingly a little bit old in terms of being able to run modern games. Um, it's it's definitely fitting in, sliding in as a device that I'm playing a lot more independent titles on because they are usually less uh, technically demanding than, you know, uh, your your big first-party games. Although apparently Cyberpunk runs surprisingly well on the Steam Deck. But uh, even that game's a couple years old. But it's lighter. This display looks gorgeous. The battery lasts longer. And so, again, I I would have, and was ready to, like, buy this in a heartbeat. I think if you were the kind of person that, has made this transition in their life whether you're a parent or for whatever reason in which handheld gaming is like a huge part of your life i feel bad for you if you like like many people that i've been seeing online like bought a steam deck two months ago and it's like this one is is, is like better in even the basic ones are like the non like uh uh i think some of the non OLED ones even have like some of these refreshed internals like it's across the board just a much it's a really meaningful upgrade even if you're not getting DLSS and like a better GPU, uh, like it's not running the games any better, but it it is running them better, just not in the traditional sense of how we think about a game's like frame rate. But if you're, if you're a Steam Deck user, you're probably not frame rate sensitive anyway, right? Like you're playing it for the convenience factor and then wondering, should I buy these competing Steam Deck devices that clearly have shittier interfaces and don't work as well? but have better graphics processors. And I thought about that. Um, But uh, the Steam Deck OS is just continues to be unbelievably good. I don't think I'll buy a competing product until... Valve has mentioned that they are going to export the Steam OS and allow that to be played on, on other devices. And so some of these other handhelds that are not as power efficient, but are just like, I don't know, we put in stronger stuff in there to make the games run faster. If I can get Steam OS running on one of those, I I might be interested. But until then, like the Steam Steam Deck remains king, and it's it's a surprisingly meaning meaningful upgrade that I think will mean the most depending on where it where it fits in your life.
1: We put in stronger stuff to make the games run better, folks. Uh, <laughs> say goodbye to Patrick because he goes off to join Digital Foundry. Uh, <laughs> we thank you for watching Remap with us.
2: Do you think, like, Rob? Do you think they, if I put on my my cover letter on Digital Foundry, like frame rate doesn't bother me, and if it goes under thirty, it's no big deal. Like, you think that's gonna like endear me I, to the? I think you gotta Digital sell them Foundry. on
1: like you know what you know what Digital Foundry needs a fucking normie doesn't care about this shit. <laughs> Be like, hey, all these conversations are premised on people noticing and caring about this stuff. But what if someone was in this conversation who didn't and kept being like, y'all money. notice this at every
3: turn? Doesn't look any different to me.
2: <laughs> I think it would actually be, that would actually be a, a quality of life decrease for me to have a job like that. Because part of the way I'm operating is on sheer ignorance. If I, if I knew the sacred knowledge... I could care about the sacred knowledge. Mm. If I don't know about the sacred knowledge, I can't, like I bought, two I don't four think four <laughs> the
1: digital foundry staff are happier for being able to notice in real time. <laughs> this yeah. stuff. I think they've talked about this. Like some of their videos is like, you kind of wish you didn't notice this stuff, but like suddenly all these little problems leap off the screen. And me, I'm just blissfully like, I think both those shadows look good. They're different. I can see they're different, and they're both beautiful. Hey, <laughs> hey, hardware! You did. You you all did great jobs.
2: But you know, I joke about like don't listen to me. But, like, there has actually been a, a a current in and Rob, you've lived through this, and Janet, I'd be curious if if you've noticed any of this in Europe. But like, frequently, games media people have not been the types of folks that are high level technical people that are either bothered by or care about the types of things that Digital Foundry uh, highlights in their work. And thus, there is sometimes a tension in reviews. Like, I can't believe game reviewers are, like, willing to put up with, like, this garbage frame, like, stuff like that. And I I have really enjoyed the fact that they are so good at their jobs. They are so great at highlighting those parts. I can just go, go the fuck somewhere else. (laughs) Like, like, they do it. They're really good at it. I don't care. And so like they've made a platform for you and I can just point my fingers
4: yeah. that I way. I too often, in lieu of just learning more, I just say, just go digital boundary. It's so much easier because <laughs> it's going to take me so much work to gain those sensibilities. And maybe it is one of those things where once you study it, it just locks in and now you can see it. But I feel like I've looked at so much content that's like, here's the difference. And I'm like, not gonna remember this next time I look at anything. else. Like See, it just I think I think Rob register. knows just
2: enough to be dangerous, just yeah, enough to annoy I feel like you himself. Know stuff. Like he knows like stuff, know stuff. Rob, but like you haven't completely
1: crossed over to where it it requires too much study, right? Like I like I like I am I'm I'm a I'm a dilettante, like on everything. <laughs> uh, like I that is that is about the level on which I engage with things. But yeah, like. I, but I think one thing that does the the part that I've never really identified with, like gaming, um, hi-fi is not quite the the, the right term because like hi-fi tends to be about like when you're working with like a fixed source and it's about reproducing as accurately as possible the info in the in, in the source. Like rendering a game is a little bit different than it's like, not
2: wrong. Like what what you're gesturing at, yeah. though, I think falls in the same bucket. Even if you're describing different,
1: but the thing I've never really practices. gotten the, the thing I've never really gotten on with is as someone who came up like as a PC gamer, it was always considerably behind the tech curve until like fairly recently. For me, it's like frame rate stuff has always been a little bit like, I just don't care that much. Like, yes, there's, there are points where like frame rate dips become like debilitating the play experience. But my experience of games, like throughout my childhood, twenties was always like, sometimes you play in a game and then it will just slow down <laughs> and you can maybe make those slowdowns less by making the game look like shit, but I didn't want to look, make the game look like shit. I want (laughs) game to be pretty. And so I've always like, I've always been like, yeah, the, the, the price you pay for like a, a good looking game is occasionally, uh, you know, you'll, you know, first you'll just have to accept kind of a, a chunkier frame rate to begin with, but then occasionally it will just dip and you'll get a bit of a stutter and then you'll move on. And so I thought like, I think this goes back to, uh, was it, was it last generation where the really? I guess it happens every generation, but the entire like, oh, so you're not you're not guaranteeing locked 60 FPS at like you know that kind of stuff. I think it's
4: definitely this gen too. Is that's like a huge conversation. I feel especially like especially the,
1: the performance modes, yes. right? Like where now it's become an expectation.
2: Well, it's that one of those like aim for it
4: next. Like the next gen, as in this gen, like those next gen promises of I thought we'd have locked sixty. I thought we'd have no load times. I thought I'd be happier than I am. Today. You know, it's <laughs> like- they, yes.
0: Well,
1: there. Okay.
4: <laughs> Why am I still just angry all the time? <laughs> I gives?
1: really thought this generation would be the one that would like heal my heart. Exactly. Uh, but, but yeah, like locked 60 like it's cool when a game can do that when you're when you actually are playing a game and it's like wow this this frame rate's really really good it's really smooth that is impressive but the notion that i would ever expect a thing to just run at 60 fps like steadily i'm like well that's never been the case for me that's not even how like when i imagine like how does a game look it ain't running silky smooth at 60 (laughs) uh and and so that's that, that i think is the area where like separate from like the How images are rendered together, which I think is what Digital Foundry mostly looks at is uh, rather than just like straight performance metrics. It's about, uh, you know, how like image image fidelity and quality of uh, render and then how and then how that impacts performance. Uh, That stuff, like it's a lot of details uh, that I find really interesting, but I don't have the eyes for it. But I just have never been someone who's like in high dudgeon about the fact that a game is you know they they can only promise 30 frames per second and sometimes it dips below that to like 28 i'm like yeah that's video games <laughs> always has been uh but yeah i'm like i i need to not buy a new i need to not buy the switch oled uh, no steam deck no, uh,
2: steam I- Duck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yes. I, I in neither case, I, I think, uh, I, you know, have you? So, you know, I, the I reviewed the Steam Deck, got one from Valve, but I had a pre order in yeah. because I, I wanted one, and then I sent that one to you, and now I'm gonna send my old Steam Deck that I got from Valve to cotton So I'm just <laughs> giving Steam Decks to yeah. my coworkers. Thank you. Uh, I mean, Rob gave me money for it, but like, well, Kato won't, so that works out <laughs> for Kato. Um But. Uh, Sick. You used it a little bit. I think the thought was, hey, like these kind of thumb pads that act as, you know, can act as like a a mouse cursor might make some strategy games interesting on the couch. And I know you experimented with it, but it just seems like it didn't, it didn't stick. Like you, like at least the size of the apartment that you're in, like the the way you live your life, it it was never inconvenient enough to not be like the trade-offs with the deck Didn't make sense enough when you could just get up and go play the game with like a lapdog on your monitor or like on the setup that you have now up in your office.
1: Yeah, that's that's a big part of it. Now, occasionally it's been a real trooper on like various trips, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, like the few times where it's like, okay, I'm not in a place where there's anything fun to do. I've got hours to kill. Thank God the steam deck is here. Uh, You know, then it's like worth its weight in gold. Um, probably not. It weighs a ton. So that'd be, quite. it does feel like a gold
2: brick yeah. at times. So. <laughs> I really
1: wish with its protective case, it didn't have the form factor of a fucking cinder block because like, I'd like to, I'd like to go on little errands with a, with a little messenger bag, right? And my laptop slides in it's about the thickness of a magazine and I can put magazines next to it. It's all real thin, real skinny. Uh, and it just like sort of rides along at your hip or your backside just fine you put a steam deck in that thing and immediately it's just full to bursting you are you are you're like you feel like santa claus carrying that <laughs> thing around because it is just suddenly like uh look at this bounty of stuff that i'm bringing with me to the doctor's office uh <laughs> let me hang on let me let me produce my steam deck here and and sort of prize it prize apart the jaws of this backpack and and free it uh, because it's so thick. It's managed to almost seal itself in there.
2: Well, yeah, I have a messenger bag and like, I'll bring the steam deck, you know, on flights and stuff like that. And it's like, like the, the, it's interesting because the design of every other device in our lives that would go in a bag has been like thinner and vertical, right? Like, and so that is true of like phones, tablets, laptops, and then you just have this the, the Steam Deck, the big boy, just like, aha, I gotta stretch <laughs> out, buddy. Like so much space in this bag. And it makes it that I can't fit other like I have a messenger bag that I put a Steam Deck in. And then hopefully a couple of other things <laughs> that make their way around it in the you, process. You have
4: a Steam Deck bag that you put other things yeah. in alongside <laughs> yes. the Steam Deck. Because it 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 a- it's
2: not solved by going vertical, because then it just sticks no. out of the messenger
4: bag. You're just stuck. It's a chunky boy. I normally travel with a backpack, so it, there is, it's not too bad, but That's a my, my toxic trait is I'll travel with the Steam Deck, and then I'll also bring the Switch, and I won't play either of them. I'll just... <laughs>
2: Oh, that's
1: the
4: classic. That That happens more than
1: I'd like to admit. I'll just kind of...
4: I would love to... So in a lot of my life, I've gotten at the point where I acknowledge that I don't do, you know, certain things. I'm like, I don't actually play these games on the go when I'm traveling. But I've yet to actually, like, accept it. Like, I know it's true, but I'm like, maybe this time it'll be different. And it's literally never been different. It would take two minutes to make the difference. And I don't take the two minutes to play (laughs) anything. So what I'm now going to try to do is just become a play date person and just carry that with me. Because if I'm going to bring a console that I'm not going to play, I should bring the smallest console that I own.
1: (laughs) I'm not playing it anyway. So
4: who cares what I'm actually bringing? It doesn't matter.
1: So this is, this, this like verges on HOA territory, but uh, I'll throw it out here. I think the thing that I've not looked into as much as I probably should have is the possibilities of like steam deck as steam remote play endpoint yeah Mm. or steam remote play tv interface uh where like i can have that hooked up to the tv and then the gaming computer can be in my office and i can be downstairs like using that hardware effectively uh but because this has been the thing right like for the past couple weeks with the puppy i've had um i've had the gaming pc down in the living room because outside of these recordings i live in my living room now uh all the time Uh, it's more literal than it's ever been because like the dogs just require constant supervision. Uh, and so like, I'm just, I'm just down there all the time. And so I put the, put the game, the game PC down there, but most of the time I would like to, I'd prefer to have it not in the living room and have it be in an office, uh, be, be part of this, this setup. But I would love to have that, that hardware. I would love to have access to that hardware power anywhere in the house. Uh, and I just haven't like, I don't take enough advantage of it. Like I'm like, like a fool. I will hit that game with that, that, that PC will be on and I'll be like, no, no steam deck. How about you do this natively off your own battery and off your own, off your own hardware. Uh, and, and likewise, I haven't really figured out a good solution for how to get like stuff from the gaming PC to my living room TV where it like, is that going to feel like, Having a laptop there being the Steam remote play endpoint seems kind of janky, kind of goofy and silly, right? Just you got a laptop sitting there perpetually in front of your TV um, that you, you got to fuss with in order to start playing a game. You, you want things to be seamless, right? You want to just be pick up a controller and I'm playing PC games. You but I haven't quite figured out like the, the the way to like
3: you need one of those Steam links when they were doing the fire sale. Gotta gotta clear them all. You, if you need one,
2: I've <laughs> I've got. I bought an extra one when it went on sale, and well, I was like, are- Patrick,
1: send it along. Uh, <laughs> okay, maybe I it's can get something for you for once.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, you can. You, know, I'll send you that, and then you can send those wildly expensive uh, pins that <laughs> oh, you bought shit. from uh, Disney. <laughs> no, the
1: Halloween pins—they're not even seasonal anymore. Oh, Zach, you fucking kid, idiot! You can't. It get doesn't to... matter. The, the kids,
2: the kids uh, hated that all the Halloween stuff came down anyway. They'd be delighted to get something new for for Halloween. But no, it the the Steam Link is fantastic. the The issue I've had with like running my PC on my deck is that, like, if I put if I put it to sleep getting it to wake up. I've got a password on it. I guess I should take the password off, but I keep the password yes. on because of my kids. And so that I, I don't want to go downstairs to yep. wake the yep. PC. And so I don't, so the, the thing that I need to figure out and I'll do, the, I'll do this. Uh, Cause I've been talking about it with you, Rob is I think the solution to this might not actually be running it from steam, but is actually setting up GeForce now on the deck because right. I've heard uh, it's I've heard that broadly works and is like really good. And 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 also even if I was to set like set my PC uh to not have a password so I could sidestep that process, um the connection, the Wi-Fi going from even with a like satellite thing upstairs, going from my PC downstairs, upstairs, even though it's the room above me, it creates enough interference that it's often not worth the effort and the it's it would be a better experience for me to connect natively to GeForce now and have that pipe to the steam deck than it would be for the pc that is feet technically only a few feet away physically but the materials in the house make it as uh, an, an obstacle i
3: was gonna ask while listening you'll talk about like the possibilities of remote plays like does, does is there some way to connect an ethernet to the steam deck or is it just is it wireless only it's uh, you can buy a. I mean, you can buy a dock. Um, the dock yeah. And yeah,
2: the dock has an Ethernet. The jack. dock has an Ethernet cable. But, but the it problem is, come then you the dock. It doesn't come with a dock, uh, but then you run into. Uh, <laughs> the dock is jankier than you might want it to uh, be. There are some third. <laughs> there are some third-party ones that are pretty decent. No, but the the real issue is that you run into the power issue with the deck itself, which is that it's rendering it like uh 1287 like i I forget well like it's a lower resolution like i forget what the native resolution of the of the deck is but and you can render at higher resolutions when putting it into a a dock but then like it's gonna run poorly on your television so like i remember when i wait even, even
1: if the rendering load is being handled by a proper gaming computer somewhere else
2: Oh no no no! Sorry, I was okay, I was yeah, saying okay, I was yeah, yeah. saying if you were just using the deck to then plug it into a TV right. and then run it run it that way. Um, no, you yeah you you would you're, you're in a yeah I, I don't know what would... It, yeah I guess if you're I've never done that version of it where have the Steam Deck run from your PC so it's streaming your PC hardware to the deck and then the deck goes to the dock the dock goes to the TV and then you've connected a an Xbox controller to your deck to control it. That I'm sure that's been done. Um, I've and that sounds.
0: <laughs> sick, I don't want to do also, it, but that sounds I'm like sure a it's shitload been done. of work. <laughs>
1: Yeah, this is so really like okay, the real reason we're having this conversation here is because we know people write in with solves for this. Like <laughs> let's be let's be go. real. People are gonna be so this like is, this is solve solve
4: They're like, mm-hmm. oh no, what do <laughs> I do? <laughs> Someone please help me. Mm-hmm. Um, oh
1: no. Poor widow Patrick can't <laughs> add <laughs> his games to his TV through his yeah. Steam Deck. It's too hard. Does anyone know of any ideas that might solve this? the uh you you joke <laughs> but uh
2: this extends all the way to uh so i mentioned earlier my wife has covid she feels crummy but i you know hopefully everything will be okay and it'll just you know be what it is but i've been t- uh i ran through the last of like the postal service tests that we had testing myself and the kids the kids test negative in the district they're allowed to go and they felt fine and so every day we do the same thing I tested them this morning but i I thought surely, you know, insurance must cover or subsidize some of these take-home tests. No. I followed Janet and Kyle's advice. Like, is anyone giving these away for free in my area? No. And these tests are like, fuck, these tests are expensive if you have to do oh, them every day. You know what I'm um, saying? Yeah. Yeah. And I believe me, I'm I'm cheap. I, I, no, I every I, day is rough. I then be you know, well, and it's you don't need to test them to see if we're not at the stage where my wife needs to test to see if she's negative. Yeah. We're obviously. Testing us to see if we're turning positive. But and uh, and my kid threw one on the floor, so that was just like, well, that's fucking seven dollars uh, oh, no. wasted, dude. try to hold down a three year old by yourself and put something in their nose, it it's like breaks your heart. Um, but we got through it <laughs> anyway. But I I was I you know tweeted in like mild annoyance uh, uh, annoyance that I like I, my insurance explicitly has a thing on their website that's like, yeah, hey, we don't cover that shit. Like, good <laughs> luck. Like, you know, figure it out. Um, and then like multiple people reached out, was like. Hey, like, I know you're in the Northwest suburbs. Like, I got like 30 tests. Like, I just never use them. Like, if you want them. And so, like, I I, I, I was like, that's so nice of you. I was like, I just bought a bunch overnight. If I go beyond that, I'll let you know. That's only a couple cities away from me. I'd be happy to take those off your hands if you're not used to them. But you like, like, you joke, Rob. But, like, the audience is such that they'll send me a weird gadget made in Hong Kong that'll, like, solve my gaming, like, streaming problems. (laughs) And also, like, hey, bro. Your family needs some COVID tests. Like,
1: I got a bunch Dude. of them.
4: You got, you got the hookup on just whatever you need, you know? <laughs>
1: Two yeah, weeks those- ago, I think, like, Janet, you and I were talking about, like, I, I think I said, like, I'm a little baby who needs a, I need some sort of, like, water bottle that's going to be like, hey, drink, drink water, dummy. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Right. And
1: then someone messaged me from, like, within the community. It's like, actually, my company designs uh, and makes a, <laughs> hey, drink some water, dummy. Wait, water what is bottle. This called? Uh, do you want me to? Do you want me to send you some? And like, like hell yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. Did you get it? Uh, no, I just I just noticed this the other day uh, in, in my inbox. But because uh, yeah. I want to know you. Yeah, yeah. what's the, Do you remember I, yeah. the name
4: of it? I'm just curious what it is.
1: Uh, let me see. This is not endorsements. I haven't I haven't used it yet. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, but it is. But you know, it's from a it's from a good community member. So like, what are the odds that
4: the bottle's evil? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
1: They wouldn't they wouldn't surely on this. Surely. Uh Hydrate Spark. Okay. Go to hydratespark.com. Not spelled H Y, <laughs> but high, like, high, hi like hi H I. HydrateSpark.com. They got good reviews on. Oh, it's cute. Some Interesting. Like,
2: water bottle plus.
1: They got a bunch of water bottles and what? it's like which which kind of thirst would do I have?
4: It's cute. It's got a little rainbow on the butt. I'm like, where's the part where the bottle tells me I'm dumb? (laughs) That's what I'm scrumming through.
2: Well, probably has Bluetooth inside, right? And that probably connects to an app, and then the app sends you a notification.
4: Hey, that's kind of cute.
1: I need to get an Apple Watch for my water bottle so that I could, even if my phone is is on me, my water bottle can be like, hey, yep.
3: Look, I want it to talk to me. I I love my my Apple Watch. To actually say words so that I can buy a, a, a voice pack. So it can talk to me in funny accents, like the way you used to do with old uh, GPSs. <laughs>
2: do you do Do you want uh, uh uh Do you want it to be condescending to you? Like, how do you want the tone of the water? Like, do you want it, Rob? I mean, you mean, positive on the day. affirmations, yeah, right? <laughs> Or do you want it to be like, "Hey, fucko," like, "You know how much is left in here?" It's well, like, now it's kind of like letting the this guns water go in, to waste.
4: In um high on life, is that what you're? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's like how far? I just don't into know the... what
2: motivates Rob. Is it gentle, like, "Hey." How are you doing today, Rob? Like, you know what make you feel better? Eight ounces of water, <laughs> right now. I just, you know, I wonder if it I, I per- think I'd be
1: more amenable to that. The like positive, like, <laughs> hey, just wanted to let you know, uh, this water is perfectly chilled and beautifully filtered. It'd be so refreshing. Just come over here and drink some.
3: I know you served yourself this water an hour ago, but it's just now reached the perfect temperature. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it is sufficiently
1: breathed.
0: Yeah. Uh, the water's really opened up. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, all right. So shall we get into some news? Sure. All right. Uh, bit of a bit of a, a pivot here in terms of uh, seriousness. And I think this is a, a good place to get into this. So, uh, Narrow designer, Meg Jayanth, uh, you know, the, the narrative designer on 80 days, uh, worked on thirsty suitors was nominated for the golden joysticks. And the other day posted a statement explaining, <clears throat> uh, or sorry, was, it was going to be a presenter of, uh, an award at the golden joysticks, which is, I think futures, uh, like game awards, um, like crowd voted, uh, there's a couple
2: if you get like there's the BAFTAs are also a thing that happens over there and the
1: BAFTA is uh, more real
2: y- yeah I, yeah I like the I mean, golden joysticks are a little more
1: they're a little more people's choice BAFTA is a little <laughs> more like Academy Awards <laughs>
2: yeah I think that's the right I think that's the right way to put it
1: but uh so uh also I think med-
2: literally it's people's choice like I, I think they are voted on on games radar I think is like where like like I don't think it's uh It's like the game awards where like the, some of the nominations are coming from.
3: Apparently it's also literally known as the people's gamings awards. (laughs) Okay.
1: Well, so Rob
3: nailed it anyway. Sorry, Rob. Uh,
1: So uh, Meg announced that, uh, you know, she would not be presenting this award after all, in part because uh, her, her intention was to make a statement regarding uh, the situation in Gaza and Israel's bombing campaign. um, she posted a she posted a couple things on Twitter. one appeared to be an email to the organizers of uh the golden Joysticks, saying that uh and we don't know what what they said, how they sort of put the uh you know try to pump the brakes on whatever statement she had submitted that she was going to make as part of presenting this award, but her response she published on Twitter. Uh, saying, I truly hope you can reconsider. As a worker on the cultural industry, I do not believe that our work can be separated from politics. Over 10,000 people have been killed in the ongoing genocide in Palestine with the complicity of our government here in the UK. Uh, our industry is also complicit in the dehumanization of black and brown people in our aesthetics and content. And as a game developer, my conscience compels me to speak out in whatever small way I can when I am able. The standing against genocide should not be considered politically inappropriate, and my statement calling for a ceasefire is hardly radical. The initial script you sent over spoke about video game storytelling engaging our empathy and emotions, and my short statement asking my community to join me in calling for a ceasefire comes from a place of deep empathy, love, and steadfast conviction, joining the voices of Palestinians, Muslims, Arabs. Jewish people who cannot and should never be conflated with the Zionist government of Israel and people of conscience who stand against genocide and apartheid. Stories we tell in our games matter. The words we say matter. That is surely what we are celebrating at the Golden Joysticks, games (coughs) as a culturally significant art form, as a medium of interactivity, connection, and shared humanity. We cannot celebrate humanity, diversity, freedom, rebellion only within our game worlds and be silent when those same values call upon us to speak in the real world. I dearly hope the organizers will reconsider this position as i am be very honored to present an award tomorrow. If this is not possible then with great regret. I will have to decline the opportunity to present the best storytelling award in solidarity with the people of Palestine and the oppressed everywhere. Uh, it seems like they did not, uh, reconsider their position. Uh, and so she, uh, withdrew and released a f- further statement, sort of underscoring, uh, what she said in her, in her previous statement. Uh, which I think it is. I think it's part of like the ongoing. Um, I don't know. What's the, what's the way to put this? I feel like it, it's been shocking. If someone sort of followed. Uh, the con, the, the conflict and occupation uh, in Israel in Palestine for, for years and years to see how quickly the narrative has profoundly shifted over these past weeks. Uh, you know, I grew up in, an era where the presumption was complete and steadfast that uh, Israel deserved unflinching support, uh, that any sort of Palestinian position was inherently illegitimate and based on lies and distortions. Uh, And so the, the only question that was sort of valid was, how loudly and fully do you support Israel? Uh, in any and all situations. And to an extent, I think at the start of this following the uh, absolutely horrific October 7th attacks, uh, we saw that script play out from like officialdom and media. And what's odd here or or striking is that I think a lot of what people are asking for, which is the, which is a ceasefire um, is such a small ask. It is such a, is such a small concession is so much. It's such a small, uh, call for a modicum of humanity in the situation, and across the board, even that, I think because of years of way debate around this has been like stifled and carefully like delimited there are still a lot of people and organizations who treat calls for ceasefire as if it is like the most radical inflammatory hate speech that you can possibly make, and that just doesn 't wash anymore um and th- You know, oddly enough, for most of my lifetime, it would have for most of my lifetime. You could you could shut down the discussion uh, in that way. Now you can't. Uh, And when you have things like the organizers of the Game Awards trying to shoot down a statement that, you know, Golden uh, joysticks. We don't sorry, we don't know
2: about we don't know about the game yeah. we'll, we'll get we'll get there. We'll get there in a minute. Uh, who, knows, who, who knows
1: who knows will crash the stage this year. Uh, <laughs> but no, when you when you have the golden joysticks trying to like shoot down a statement from a presenter that they invited uh that just goes so far as to call for a ceasefire for humanitarian reasons and say that that's too radical, that's too political, it's inappropriate. Um it's Really, I think, a profound misreading of the situation and and how completely, like, anyone of conscience looking at the situation would, of course, say that, like, at the very least, the thing that should stop happening is, you know, the massive indiscriminate bombing campaign. Uh, that's like table stakes for decency and humanity. But everyone is so conditioned to treat this topic as completely taboo that you have situations like this where a perfectly reasonable statement uh, from someone with impeccable credentials and credibility in the community gets like silenced by the organizers of gaming's equivalent of the people's choice awards.
2: Right. And it, you know, it comes, you know, in the wake of, we wouldn't have considered support for Ukraine, a political statement. You know, the game awards itself were covered with commentary. The gaming community was covered with commentary. Um, yeah. And obviously the situations are different. The context is different, but it was very easy for everyone to go, Oh, we understand the good guys, bad guys here. Like, yeah, everyone roll out your statements, roll out your support, wear your pins, you know, do all that. And while the situation here is different because context, history, relationships are different. I think exactly what you're saying, Rob, the, the notion of calling for a ceasefire, like. Considering that to be an incendiary political statement is itself extremely revealing of the the moment that we're in and how that is treated uh, as something as though we have to gauge the temperature on as opposed to just being humane um, to uh, the people in, involved. And so it does make me wonder what happens. You know, you, you, you slipped up on calling it the Game Awards, but I, I think you cannot help but look at this situation and wonder. I've already seen, you know, movements online to try and encourage folks who would be up on stage to say something. I don't know what the process is like for the Game Awards, what, if any, vetting they do or don't do for presenters, for recipients. Uh, we have seen like uh, multiple times over the years at the Game Awards, people manage to get away with some shit. Um, not necessarily, you know, always in favor of making a grand political statement. Um, uh, as people sneaking, you know, sneaking up close to, you know, important figures in the games industry or, uh, like the designer of, uh, you know, uh, it takes two, like going on like wild rants without being, being stopped. So my, my guess is the opportunity is there. My guess is, it is a couple of weeks from now. I know, I don't know what's going to meaningfully change between now and then in terms of the conflict at hand, but I think people are likely to feel as passionate as they are now about the subject. And I would be surprised if someone doesn't try to say something. And then the question becomes, you know, what, if anything is done by the organizers, Keely or like more broadly, uh, like in response and especially like my expectations are in the bucket for something like this, not necessarily for, you know, it's unfair to, if no one says anything, you know, th- that's an incredible amount of pressure to put on one individual to then speak to an, an entire cause um, uh, like on behalf of the industry. But especially as we go into an award show where this is sitting there and then also, you know, can't wait for, Keeley to spend, what, two seconds saying, like, I really think so many people were laid off, right? Like, it's, it's, it leads into a end-of-year quote-unquote celebratory moment that has a lot of weight on it, Um, that is not a show that I think will be able to meet the moment. Um, And it's not necessarily on the people involved, like, the presenters and the recipients to then, like, it's up to you to make, make this work, but I suspect people will feel that pressure. Um, I understand it, and like, what you do at that moment is is yours. And my guess is some people are going to seize that. And I'll be curious to see what exactly happens as a result.
4: Yeah, I think the issue here, too, to kind of extend to Rob's point, is also rather than take a stance or make calls, like the Golden Joystick solution was like, we're not going to have anything mentioned about any of this at all. It's like we're here. It's very much giving stick to sports, but like the games edition of it, mm-hmm. um, that idea of... Hey, we want you for what I specifically like and know you for, not your humanity, not real world stuff, just the game specifically, which I think is kind of dehumanizing um, in itself. And then to have this happen to like a woman of color presenter that's predominant in the space is is really unfortunate. But yeah, I mean, I th- I do think that there definitely are issues in the world that are very much feel like it should be an obvious humanitarian crisis and a humanitarian issue. And I think obviously there will people who will always say, well, is this the place for like this thing to happen? And I think the issue with, you know, specifically the game awards, cause I am not too privy on the political history of the golden joysticks or like the way things have gone in the past with mm-hmm. um, different like world issues happening and how they have or haven't addressed it. But I think because of things like Ukraine, the game awards has kind of chosen to position itself as a place that will speak out against those things. And we can obviously talk about like, you know, how authentic is it? How whatever, you know, we can debate that internally or the intentions or whatever. But that's the reality. Like you sort of have set a precedent that you are willing to speak at least to some light degree addressing, you know, issues at large that affect the people that make games, the world. Inherently those issues. So I think there is that expectation. Um, Patrick, I do like what you bring up with the idea of the onus shouldn't be on the people presenting to make those calls because that is a lot. I think very much folks are looking towards Jeff Keeley as the, the face of the Game Awards, the person that is the main host of the Game Awards to say something about not just what's happening in Gaza, but also, you know, the layoffs. Uh, I know a lot, there's a lot of pushback on um, the Game Awards account posting about, you know, AI and games. So there's just like a lot going on for this year um, in terms of th- things people want to see um, as far as support for games, the industry and the people that it affects. And I I don't, I feel like, I feel like you have to do something because I think if you don't, if you don't take the reins, the narrative will form itself. And I imagine that even again, it shouldn't be something people are doing purely for optics. But like the reality is, the optics and PR of this whole situation are definitely being considered. And I don't know, I don't know if that's going to be enough to push, you know, so it's, it's kind of like my thing of where I say, sometimes people do the right thing for the wrong reasons, but like if it gets good results, it kind of is what it is. Like, I don't know if just that pressure alone is going to be enough for Jeff to kind of pick a lane or do something with this. I feel like to just do nothing seems like, the worst case scenario in, in more ways than um than one. But I do know Ethan Gatch from Kotaku was like writing up about this story and mentioned that the Game Awards didn't, you know, say anything, obviously, in terms of would there be a similar ban on, on political statements during its event? But um I don't know. I'd be surprised if I saw nothing. But then also, I don't know, it's nothing the easiest thing. And the Game Awards has been so messy with so many different issues happening in terms of past presentations people on stage that shouldn't be on stage and all this other stuff there's like a lot of there's just like a lot leading up to this moment um yeah well
1: i think something else that like makes this topic tricky in particular is because there's there's always been so much historical bad faith around the topic of uh israel to begin with like um Jewish people live with a higher level of risk in general in the world than than I do, right? Like like anti semitism is real; it is it is widespread, uh, and like when issues like this do crop up, uh, when this when this con- conflict sort of uh, you know intensifies, becomes more violent, you do see you you de- do see a rise of, of uh, in anti semitism, but at the same time, there's been a really concerted effort on behalf of like. Uh, the state of Israel's partisans to sort of conflate any criticism of Israel and Israeli policies with anti-Semitism, which I think has been really destructive for efforts to actually combat anti-Semitism. You know, the minute like uh, the the BDS movement, right, which is about as <laughs> as peaceful and anodyne a thing as you can get, right? It's a, it's a, it's a it's a boycott, divestment, uh, sanction movement uh, was labeled as like a hate campaign. Uh, and tried to tried to be painted as such. And that's, you know, that's absurd. And once you, once you say, like, even that sort of activism is anti-Semitism, uh, it becomes, well, it becomes harder to take that allegation seriously from those quarters. Uh, but at the same time, also, it means that wading into that discussion often means that you're going to have to somehow, like, address in some way something you shouldn't have to, which is that you shouldn't have to say... Now, I disagree with the state of Israel, but that has nothing to do with my feelings about Jewish people. You shouldn't have to say that, but because the the water has been intentionally made so murky on this front that I think a lot of people are just petrified of what you are wading into, what sort of attacks you open yourself up for uh, by just sort of acknowledging the issue. I think the other thing that is... Really challenging about this moment is, uh, this is like sort of speaking for myself here. Uh, so you know, but this is one of those situations where, um, morally, there's it's sort of hard to come back from this. Like, if you look squarely at what's happening in Gaza right now, what's been happening for almost 20 years, this isn't really a both sides situation. Um and that's and that's even with like a horrific like Hamas attack, you know, on October 7th. That's part of an ongoing history of violence here. And the state of Israel's had the most agency throughout all of this. Um and they've sort of set the, you know, set the terms for this this conflict for for a long, long time. Uh and, and most crucially, like nobody made them start a massively destructive in like bombing campaign like this and you know kill tons of civilians uh, cut off water and power uh to to uh you know huge swaths of the population there that is a that is a affirmative choice and i think there can be a tendency to overcomplicate this uh you will you know you'll be told like the the history is so the history is so complicated or you'll be, or you'll be told uh like really twisted versions of the history about, about how we got here. Um, But that's harder to square now with the fact that like, you know, Israel is run by a far right government. Uh, We have, you know, we, I think we've spoken with this, with our friend, uh, you know, Emmanuel Myberg uh, before, who used to be part of like an Israeli left. Uh, trying to sort of fight some of the 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 movements that have sort of taken control of Israeli politics these last twenty years, uh, and so it's like really important to distinguish that like this is a very unpopular government, and there are a lot of people in Israel who are also like horrified by what the state is doing. Uh, same as the fact that like you know some of the staunchest uh, opponents of what Israel is doing are from within like the American Jewish community. Um, I think. I think it's shifted now where a majority, like polls show a majority of like uh you know American Jews are more skeptical of Israel than they are supportive of it. Um I think uh, Jewish Voice for Peace is running ceasefiretoday.com uh which by the way if you want to like take quick action on this uh ceasefire Today makes it very easy to go and quickly like you know reach out to your congress people uh find other things you can do to take part in calling for a ceasefire but Right now, like, the Israeli government has people in it who will just go on TV and explicitly say things like, we want to eliminate Palestinians. Uh, this is, you know, this is, like, there are people who are sort of exulting and, uh, you know, seem almost thrilled to be having some sort of excuse to go and, like, attack a huge civilian population. And I think here in the U S where we've had decades and decades of having it framed as like Israel's always the good guy and Israel, like if there's, you know, uh Palestinian terrorist organizations intentionally kill civilians, but Israel would never do that. And that's the moral difference. And now you look at what's unfolded over this past month and it's clear. That's, that's bullshit. That's, that's nonsense. Um, And once that, Once the scales fall from your eyes there, once that delusion goes, you're left with the fact that right now, at least, um, Israel is a heavily armed apartheid state uh, whose politics are significantly steered by extremists who want an ethno state and wish death on this population that Israel's controlled for about, uh, you know, certainly since uh, the Six Day War um has has really placed under siege since the withdrawal from gaza in 2005 i want to say uh and so once you reach this point i think everyone's very comfortable with being able to say both sides things right where it's like obviously you know we just need the killing to stop and we you know we just want we want peace there needs to be a two-state solution it's, it, there's a strong temptation to get there um and I think it, it, for a lot of like certainly a statement like calling for a ceasefire allows space for that interpretation, but I think where things are at right now, it's hard to look at this and be like, "Yeah, both sides are equally to blame here you're right there's a there's a moral equivalency here happening um i I don't think you can see what's happening and what's happened over the past month and hear the things you hear from like Israeli ministers and not be appalled
3: yeah i um Quickly, want to shout out the thing that, you know, taught me about the situation because it came out in my youth. Uh, but I was part of a sequential arts club in in uh in middle school and high school, and someone got uh, Joe Sacco's Palestine, which is a nonfiction comic that is made up of you know, Joe Sacco went to Palestine and just talked to people, and like it's all of the stories that those people told him. During that time, he started writing this comic in like 1991 or something, and like it was finally collected in 2001. And so, like I came upon it somewhere in like it was like early high school, and like I barely knew anything about that situation. And like reading that comic book was such an eye opener for how long, even a lot of the like sort of more um mundane seeming given the last month, but. Yeah. The like long term oppression that has been happening in that area. Uh and is worth a read if if for some reason like you feel like just reading the the news itself is like he's he's like laid it out in a very, you know, digestible form in this like graphic comic tome. So like worth worth looking that up, I think.
1: Um Yeah. No, I think uh it's it's always worth like seeking out those perspectives and particularly like, uh, reading more on the like Palestinian perspective over, over this history. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to, wanted to get that out there. And just, again, that was mostly like where I'm at with this. Um, and I think, you know, we can all sort of see that like no, for no purpose of being served by, you know, this, this, this campaign, uh, and at the very least you know, we, we, we all, there's, there'll be a swift ceasefire. Um, for myself also like some bells don't get unrung uh when it comes to like looking at a situation like this. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, unlikely that I, I go back to, I, or I, 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 I would s- find myself back in a position where I, I sort of can have any patience with, with equivalency uh, on this topic. Uh, but we will leave it there and uh, we can go to a, we can go to an ad break uh, advertisers, I'm sure, are thrilled about this conversation we just had. Brand safety teams are like, Woo. "Fuck yeah, they did it." They talked about Gaza, uh, so there's no ads on the podcast ever again. Control
2: uh, F, control F for transcript. Uh. <laughs>
1: uh, uh, but it'd be, a, it'd be a small price to pay. Uh, anyway, back after this.
2: One of the most normal morning routines is a bowl, some milk, some cereal. What (laughs) changes as you get older is you might want to modify what you're putting into that bowl with the milk. If you suddenly want to cut back on sugar, you want to add more protein, you're thinking about fitness goals, but you don't want to give up the deliciousness of what you're putting in that bowl, you might want to think about Magic Spoon. uh, Because with Magic Spoon, you get all those flavors you love, high protein, less sugar, And as someone with kids, the idea that I can show them that these cereals can have all of these things and you can think about what's in your body every morning, seems really good. Magic Spoon comes in a variety pack of four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs. Only 140 calories a serving, it's high protein. Has zero grams of sugar, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. And look, You put peanut butter in anything, I'm there, which is why that's my favorite one and I'm hiding it from my children. You can go to magicspoon.com slash remap to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code remap at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, start the new year off right with a delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com slash remap, and use the code REMAP to save $5 off. Thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode.
1: Hey, Remap Radio listeners, Rob here. You know, the time was I'd come up with a meal plan for the entire week, and then I'd trawl through the grocery stores, making sure I had everything I needed, right on budget, to make those home-cooked meals. Unfortunately, times have changed, and speaking of time, I don't have quite as much of it as I used to. You know, there's a podcast empire to be overseen. But I can't just order fast food and pizza delivery every night. My budget and, unfortunately, my increasingly delicate stomach won't allow it. Fortunately for folks in the same boat as me, there's Factor. Factor gives you 35 options each week to make meal planning easy. And not just for dinner. They have breakfast foods and snacks covered as well. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. But it's just as convenient, delivering the food you need right to your door. And now, if you head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off, that's that's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. And now you can head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off. That's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. And we're back. Uh, Patrick, uh, you know, we mentioned, speaking of... uh, Meg Giant, one of the things that she worked on is Thirsty Suitors. Uh, yeah. And this is a game that's been... God, I feel like this game's been on our radar for a couple of years now. Um, uh, You know, something that looked really cool, looked really funny. Uh, and now it's here, you've been playing it. Uh, talk to us about Thirsty Suitors.
2: Yeah, this is a game I've been uh, looking forward to for a hot minute. Like, we had a really good interview with... um meg included and and some remember, other members of the development team uh from Summer Games Fest so if you go back to one of the earliest Remap podcasts um in fact that's the interview where Kata, I I only recorded <laughs> I sat on the recorder <laughs> I thus muted my mic and we only had the answers from the developers and I had to listen over listen to what I could hear of the questions mm-hmm. on the the other mics, re-record them in the most natural parlance possible <laughs> into my microphone, and then Kato stitched them together. Uh, often with something like that, I would just we did a bit the of ADR, just,
3: ADR basically.
2: <laughs> we did, we did, we did, and I, 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 you know, Kato, I think you and I did a remarkable job. Yeah. I, I heard from many yeah. people like we could, if you hadn't told us. Would not have known that that was a, like, faked, faked interview or the digitally altered interview. It um, wasn't so a go, faked go.
1: interview. That would be a different conversation yeah. kind of <laughs> yeah. if you faked <laughs> the interview.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't so, it, it have been cool like, if he s- said this? Uh, <laughs> didn't do any of that. I kept it all my um, – I, I was even doing the ums and likes. I was I was trying ah. to hit, hit my notes. Um <laughs> But yeah, this, you know, it follows, uh, uh, this, this woman, uh, Jala, who comes home after being pretty much unceremoniously dumped, uh, comes back to her hometown. The character, the character you play in this game is this lovable piece of shit. Like, she sucks. (laughs) Um, she has clearly pissed off a lot of people, like, comes home in a world where, uh, her sister is about to get married. She's unaware that her sister was seriously dating. Someone has not been invited to the wedding Like, and has a, a Scott Pilgrim ask parade of exes that want to fight her. Uh, And, but also fuck her, which is a, a little bit different than the dynamic at Scott Pilgrim. I think a little more, just people wanting to kill <laughs> Scott Pilgrim rather than always wanting to have sex with them where, and so it's, It's a mashup of a bunch of things. It's a it's got like essence, like essence of a visual novel, mechanics of a cooking game, skateboarding elements, turn based RPG. It mashes up a lot of things. I don't know that it does a lot of those things exceptionally well, but what it has. In like spades is like it's incredibly well written. The voice acting is fantastic. The characters are great. The story's awesome. Like every moment that I'm engaging in those elements, I'm having a really wonderful time with Thirsty Suitors. Every time I'm in the combat or skating around, it's fine. It's not uh, like aggressively bad. Like one of the like the 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 way the combat sort of works uh, is you're trying to find a weakness in the other, and you 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 use a, a taunt, and so it might be like. Hey, like, find me sexy. And then they're thirsty for three turns. And means their, their attacks Well, it's been a while since you've been
1: out there, Patrick. But I, I, I'm given to understand <laughs> the, that is how it works. <laughs>
2: um, uh, you can say something mean, and it'll upset them. Um, you can uh, say something nice. Like, there's different taunts. That creates a weakness. That makes an opening. And then you can use a powerful attack to sort of uh, 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 knock down their health bar more than the average attack. But... It's kind of just a guessing game. Like, uh, you're just sort of going down the list, hoping you hit a weakness. Eventually, it will shuffle those weaknesses, mm. and you start over again. There's just, there's not a lot of depth to any of these individual components, whether it's the cooking game, the skateboarding, or, uh, or the combat. And fortunately, every single one of those is infused with story. The characters are always talking. The characters are always going back and forth with another. You are getting story, character, dialogue everywhere. And combined with like really incredible animation, character designs, like all this stuff is just A+. Because if it wasn't, like this game would essentially sink under the weight of the gamier parts of it, not, not really clicking. But it also isn't, the gaming stuff isn't so oppressively present, right? Like if this was a, like, for example, when you're skating around the world, there are these little gift boxes and it's called like gift or grift, I think is like what it, what it tells you. And it's, if it's, it basically is a roll of the dice. And if it's a gift, you get a new piece of clothing that Jala can wear. If it's a grift, it's someone who's been hired by one of your exes to fight you. And then you have (laughs) to engage in just the most banal, boring, turn-based combat and you've honestly I'm more inclined to now hit run away and not even finish the encounter because yeah. it's just not that not that interesting but uh all the other stuff works really really well and thankfully the combats it's not that hard you're mostly just muddling through it to get the like really funny and witty and interesting uh like uh dialogue between the characters but but beyond that, uh, like thankfully all that stuff works as well as it does because the other individual components didn't didn't work so much for me. Jen, I thought – did you play this at all? I thought uh, I'd seen that maybe you had touched it.
4: So I I have a copy of it. Like I have code for it. Um, I haven't gotten to the full build. I did play it at SGF. Um, gotcha. And based on my time at SGF, I sort of was like – you know, if I can't get to this, I think that's okay. Um, Kind mm-hmm. of because of what you've mostly said. Like, I pretty much agree with you on the, the general vibes. Obviously, again, I didn't play the full build. I just played yeah. the preview at SGF. I
2: think it's pretty, rep- I've played that yes. at SGF and have since played about four hours of the final game. And
4: yeah, and I, I, I went into, yeah, like kind of comparable, but I, I went yeah. into um, the lead up to Thirsty Suitors, um, like a lot of y'all, you know, interested, excited, enticed by the idea, and I think there is like, a lot of charm and personality there. And I do like the writing a lot, like doing the, um, I guess kind of like intro little survey about like who your character is and like how they are. Like, that's fun. Like the skateboarding, it's not like as good as an, like a pure skateboarding game, but it's serviceable. And that's good enough for me in that. I just like being on a skateboard. Um, mm-hmm. I think the animation work is stunning. Oh, um, it's so good. It's very, if you like the, uh, the Yakuza, like summon level animations, like you will, eat up the visuals in this. They're really, really well done. However, my big sticking point when I played that preview was, and I and I like the combat fine. It, yes, it's not that complicated, but I, I didn't have beef with the combat necessarily itself, but my beef was it felt a little slow slash long. Like, because, kind of in part because it is infused with those story aspects, like, you spend so long in combat. I'm like, it's a little slow for what this is. And I guess it's kind of a, you know, we can debate, like, do I feel like it's, slow because maybe it's not that interesting or is it maybe you know is it the diet like, like what's really causing the sticking point for me but that was kind of what lowered it on my list in terms of especially again in such a in such a stacked year I'm like I still got it there's other yeah. games that I'm more into that I do think I think my take with Thirsty suitors will be really similar to like what you have Patrick where it's like oh there's some cool stuff here but maybe it's not like a banger. So I'm like, uh, well, do I wanna do I wanna prioritize that over the stuff that like I know I'm really into? I know I'm that's gonna hit, or even stuff that's a little bit more um unknown quantity for me at this sake, at this point. So that's sort of why it's sitting on my dash, um, filling me with guilt. So I think that's a good yeah. good role for it yeah. right and, now.
2: And, and and if you do think this type of, like again, I I would like to echo what Janet's saying, like the the combat, the skateboarding, like again, I don't think it's particularly additive but it is not a it doesn't it doesn't drag the game down like yeah. it is it's more just i wish there was more to any of these component elements because as presented it, it is like it feels very them, there's a really great thematic through lines i understand how the game arrived at having all of these parts of it because they are all complementary to one another like the in the in the combat yeah. uh especially when you're fighting your exes which is like like, they're the, the biggest battles or the flashiest. They have the the most uh, visual spectacle associated with them. Like, it's Jala working out her feelings, how she hurts someone, how uh, feelings, relationships were misinterpreted. Like, and it uses combat to express those feelings. And like, at its best, it is using combat as this really fascinating metaphor uh, for the relationships that Jala's had over the years and how she has arrived at being Like, kind of this piece of shit that is very hot and well-meaning, but it still hurt a lot of people along the way. And in these combat encounters, seeks to resolve that as she tries to understand kind of how to be, uh, like, a better, more empathetic person. The problem is then there are all the other moments in the combat where it's you're just trading blows. And there are like button presses, you know, quick time events, like sort of stuff where like, hey, like hit the analog stick to the right. Uh, hit A when the, the circle closes and that will result in a more powerful attack. And there are moments in the cooking segments in particular where you get to get paired up with the best character in the game, which is Jala's dad. He is just the fucking best. He is so well-written, so well-voiced, like just a complete hoot, like a, a ton of fun to be around. And some of the higher level cooking uh, like the way the cooking game works is in order to get a better rating from your judgmental parents, uh, you can attempt spicier actions. Like you can try and compliment your father, but he doesn't usually know how to take a compliment. And so it, when you give him a compliment like, hey, dad, like cool shoes, it brings up a wheel, much like the wheel we operate regularly a <laughs> uh, Remap. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what it's going to land on. You could get like yeah. – Plus two, plus one in various ways because you just don't know how like a compliment's going to land with with your father. Um, and then if you try like a really advanced cooking technique that maybe Jala's not really ready for, it'll like send you into like a, a rhythm game. Like you've got to hit like nine different actions on the screen, like do 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 do, and those feel really good because they feel like they're taxing the player um, appropriately for. Uh, like uh, the kind of skill that's being demonstrated or attempted by Jala. And there's just not enough of that in all the other, the elements and the skateboarding in the, in the, in the combat. And I just wish, I just wish there was more. I think that's my ultimate problem with the game is I think it probably functions best as a story and everything that's related to the storytelling is some of the best stuff I have seen this year even in a year full of great games, great stories, thirsty suitors stands out both because of the kind of story it's trying to tell. It's very, uh, it is queer as fuck, right? Like it is like top to bottom. Like, like you are, there are just so many different interesting narratives happening that even in games that we might classify as like having queer narratives, like this one is like, let's add another one, like, (laughs) like another one. And It's really charming and refreshing in that way. And it doesn't feel like it's just trying to check a box. It feels like it's trying to tell authentic stories about uh, like a younger generation and and the kind of relationships they're going through. And on that level, it works incredibly well. And it just feels like this could have been, I think it's a really interesting game with a really special story. And I think it could have been a special game with a special story if the game elements matched the like the class that the storytelling is punching at. And I just don't think that exists. So it's the kind of game that I'm going to be trying to tell people like, maybe not this year. There's so many other things to catch up on. Totally get it. But you know, if things slow down early next year, you're looking for something to play. You could do a lot uh, worse than, than thirsty suitors because it is just, it is very unique. Like even a year of so many things to try like, the way it's mashing up these different elements, even if some of them don't quite come together, it is a unique swing. Um, and and you will definitely come away feeling like you've played something unique. So I intend to see it all the way through because I think Jala is just... she, Her and everything in her world and this dad, like, are just... just There's this, there's this adorable moment where you finish every day in the game, every chapter, where you come home and your father's watching television. And I think the last one I had was... Uh, he says do you want to watch a documentary about the Cold War? And Jala goes, not really, but I just kind of want to be here with you. And every night ends with her watching something with her dad that she doesn't really want to watch, but just wants Hell to be on yeah. the couch. Her <laughs> head falls asleep on her shoulder. And this is a 25-year-old woman. I believe that's how how old she is in the game. Um, and he, he puts her uh, on his back and he br- he brings her up to bed, and it's just like the most like a little that's bit that's adorable. like pulling on the dad heartstrings. That's but Patrick Bate. <laughs> it, it is but also just it's 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 not a dad centric game. Yeah. It yeah. is there's lots of depth with the mom and this like it is it's just a really authentic, interesting family, and I think they really nailed that part, and I think that part stands out um, even as games are getting better about telling stories in this direction. So yeah, Thirsty yeah. Suitors. I wish the game part was better, but the parts that are good are are exceptional. And so, it's mostly, I looked at, I was like, when I was playing it last night, uh, and I was like, oh, like, a good proxy for, like, how is a game doing mm-hmm. is, like, how many reviews does it have on Steam? This game's got 55 reviews on Steam. That's, like, I, my, I am a little
4: surprised it's not higher. I then think Also, game, I never review games on Steam, so I feel like, yeah, I'm part of the problem.
2: <laughs> it's a decent <laughs> proxy for, like...
4: I, I'm worried this game has
2: like has like completely bombed, and I don't I don't think I think some of that's a product I think it's more of a product of the year than it is of the quality of the game, and so even as I'm being honest about its faults and what doesn't come together, like I definitely think this game should be reaching a larger audience than it seems to uh, have so far.
4: I think too. Like one last thing, as far as the writing, you know, it's funny. Rob, you mentioning like, oh, the dad thinks Patrick Bate. I think there's a lot of even just in that that small preview when there's just I did bait play in this. Yes, game. <laughs> there's a lot of Bate. Okay, and it's it, but in a good way where I think and obviously yeah. you know we all have different life experience, different ages, different you know all these different things that make us who we are. But I feel like you know there were so many things that I found relatable even in just that short time, even if it wasn't you know a one to one of my experience. Which is the idea of like this is your like I think at one point it's like this is your eighth grade boyfriend. It's like that's so fun, you know. It's like who mm-hmm. and again, maybe not everyone dated when they were in middle school, but it's like a lot of people can relate to that idea of, you know, your middle your first partner that you had or whatever. So I think there's like more than a lot of games. While I think the stories they tell are so specific and so like specifically written that even if it's not that direct scenario that you're relating to, it in, it almost invites you to impose your own life onto it in a way that I think is really fun, and I think that's kind of what's cool about as far as narrative design, when you get really into the weeds, like you can't help but one be just amused by the level of detail and, and intrigued by it, but also thinking about what is your own version of that story? Or maybe you see, you know, something you want in your life within it or something you've experienced or something a friend has experienced. And I think there's a lot of fun in that. And then the last thing I want to ask, though, Patrick, is I heard that there's like a rhythm game with a dog where you like pet the dog and you what's up with that? Have you, have you there, uh, interacted so with the dog there, in this game? You there is,
2: on? uh, you can't, one of the first areas you go to is a diner, and there's a dog, and you can pet the dog, and then the dog has its own quick time Okay, se- and like, he looks like red as hell,
4: too. Isn't, isn't the dog, like, multicolored and funky? I like, believe, I believe okay. so,
2: and it's like, you can pet the, you can, you can't fail to pet the dog, but you can pet the dog-
4: you could fail to pet the cat.
2: That's for sure. <laughs> you can you can pet the dog in a superior way. It could be good, you know, better, super. I think okay. is, is how the that's how cute. the game uh, uh, judges that. And I think to, to your point, Janet, the there there is univer- you can find universal relatability in yeah. stories of specificity. Mm-hmm. And like this, thirsty suitors is telling some very specific stories about that feel very personal for. The, the people involved. And that's, that was true. Like when I interviewed uh, uh, several of the writers and designers at Summer Games Fest, they were like, I, I can't remember if they are like, it was like one-to-one, but it was, you know, one-to-one ish in terms of like stories that, you know, things they'd experienced in their own lives. And it's one of those things where, you, yes, it's a highly specific story. There's some like highly specific narratives happening in terms of identity, uh, background, f- uh, families, where you're from, like history with where you're from, how that's put like, even if that is not your experience, like in that specificity, you find universal sort of relatability. And I think that's what you're what you're speaking to. And I think that's the advantage of telling highly specific stories is you as the reader or player or viewer, then find your way in with your own experience. And I think that's frankly harder with like more generic stories that yeah. would have quote broader appeal is that it ends up appealing to nobody, because you don't actually know what you're relating to, and it's very easy to see what you're relating
1: to in Thirsty Suitors. Uh, Jen, you've been playing a bit of Talos Principle 2. Now I've I've played mm-hmm. the first one. My impression of this game now series has always been that it's like good vibes. The Witness that might be that might be reductive.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I did. Well, it's funny. I did. So, wait. So you said you you did play the first one? Yes. No,
2: I didn't. I not, like. Oh, you it. didn't. Okay. I did. I I played okay. the first one, start to finish. Adored it. Has a great, surprisingly great story for okay. a, a, a puzzle game. Not always what you associate. Um, but I I liked some of the reveals that happened uh, at the end of that one.
4: I I definitely find it more. I've got to try The Witness again because it's like, look, well, I don't it. do you. I, I know. Yeah. I know but like, yeah. I mean, but it's still really really good. I mean, it's still like a really good game. So it's like it, I don't know. Yes, i and it's yeah, one of. I'm, I'm, in the it's interesting video games don't have a canon. We just have people being mad that you're not older, <laughs> like whatever, you know, <laughs> but I do think there's there is a degree of like canon aspects to gaming. And I do find, um, you know, uh, the witness to be like puzzle game canon a little bit. So I kind of I would love to check it out more just from the edification. Yeah, of I, the I, I, I yes. hear you there. I hear you there. You know. Um, but when I tried to play the witness, I was like, I don't know, this is like a smart game for smarties. Like I tried, I <laughs> tried it on my phone. I was like, what's, where do I go? And they're like, no, so you gotta look, you look at the rock and the rock will tell you where to go. And I'm like, you know what? My phone's getting hot. I'm going to put this down. <laughs> you know? So I feel like I didn't really give it a fair shake and maybe, you know, I didn't give myself enough credit for being able to deduce either. I also think when you're playing a game like that next to someone who's like really into the game. The he- you know what I mean? Like it's like I, I think I just well, need to I give it another shake. I wouldn't like that. Yeah, you know what I mean. No. It's
2: like I don't need to be puzzle shamed. Uh, yeah, no, like, no, I don't thanks. know.
4: <laughs> I just think like I need to give it another shake. Um, but I started the Talus Principle. I think I'm I'm pretty early in. i may maybe like an hour plus in, and I was a little intimidated by it because all I knew about it, um, was that the first game is really beloved. That the second game is getting you know even better reviews, and that it's um you know a game for puzzle stands. And I'm like, well, how? And Excuse I love puzzle. Me. Games. Here
3: we call them puzzle sluts. <laughs> yeah.
4: Puzzle yeah. So, we it, have it, a term There's always for something. Then, that, there's always something because on um God, on PS I Love You, I called it um, I think like puzzle freak was the thing I, <laughs> I added. So there's always something, right? Yeah. For the puzzle freaks and the puzzle sluts out there. I was like, <laughs> look, I'm a little puzzle slutty, but I'm not like, you know, how far are we going? You know? Um anyway, so I'm like, I don't know how like difficult this is gonna be in terms of you know, the learning curve. And so far, the onboarding, I think, is very approachable. Um, it definitely, too, made me wonder, when did we start, like, making blocks a core part of puzzle game? You know, where it's like <laughs> we're, we're walking around and we're manipulating blocks in space. But I find that it's approachable and that it's a lot of sort of sequestered sections. It's interesting, you know, Um probably at this point quite a few episodes back when you all were talking about Cocoon, and Patrick, you mentioned, like, it's sort of... Idiot proves itself in a way where they like lock the gate behind you. Like, no, it's right here. What you need is right here. Talos <laughs> yeah. Principle does but no, that No, I'm as frustrated.
2: Well. I'd like to go back three screens yeah. and like, maybe, maybe I an- missed something there. No, there's not you another screen.
4: It. Maybe it's the answer just is just right here before <laughs> I load the game. You know, and then they save me for myself. Exa- Talos Principle has aspects of that in the way it sort of sequesters you into like little puzzle rooms to sort of solve this piece to get what is essentially a key that you insert to unlock a set of doors, right? Like, it's a little different than that. They're, like, tetra right? The little tetra shapes, but it's mm. the same difference, essentially. Um, and I'm liking that. I don't know what's going on with the... What, the god aspect of what I'm, what I'm consuming here yet? Yeah, you might want to...
2: Uh, I could not tell you what happened at the end of the I'm like a robo
4: man, but I don't really, like, really care. But there
2: <laughs> there's some narrative beats. Yes. Uh, I, and it's not... You know, I, I'm sure you could play it. Fine. Like, it's not like yeah, uh, yeah. required enjoyment, but some shit did happen in the origi- in the original game uh, that you might get something out of. A uh, you know, <laughs> reading up on what happened at the end of the first one.
4: I'm scared. Am I dead? And I was born to a robot's body.
2: Like, uh, let's- <laughs> I, I could probably just look it up and spoil. I'm gonna I'm gonna look this. I, don't, up I mean, right you could now. always just like
4: tag things what? or whatever. Because I don't mind the. Because I'm not gonna go. Bl- I mean, I don't know. I think if for me. For the most part, even with puzzle games having a story, typically the, the front runner desired piece is the puzzle solving. So I don't personally mind knowing the story aspect. Like, I don't think that so, it impacts my enjoyment that much.
2: Spoilers for the Talos Principle, I suppose, a 2014 okay. video game. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, you, 2014. Uh, yeah. God, um, I was going to say that
3: game came out like. Four years ago, right? Five years ago?
2: <laughs> the player character, an unnamed android, awakes in a serene environment. A disembodied voice calling itself uh, Eloheim, uh instructs the android to ex- uh, explore the worlds he has created for it and solve the various puzzles to collect. Blah, yada, yada, yada. You're in a virtual reality. okay? Uh, and essentially, uh, did it, within the computer terminals are news reports and personal logs of the last days of humanity, driven to extinction mm. by a lethal virus that had been dormant in Earth's permafrost and released as a result of global warming. Several human researchers and scientists work to gather as much of humanity's knowledge as possible into large data banks, hoping another sapient species would be able to find it. Uh, And you are part of that. And then at the end, uh, the android eventually reaches the top of a tower. There are two AIs. I'm not sure what's to do with the AIs. Mm. Um, Depending on the player's interactions with Milton, I, I think... Who's Milton? <laughs> I'm not sure. Milton may offer to join with the android, offering its knowledge, essentially the whole of humanity's knowledge, during transcendence. Okay. As the android transcends, the virtual world is destroyed. The AI for the android wakes up in the android's body in the real world and steps out into the world devoid of humans. So basically-
4: So an apocalypse. Original
2: virtual <laughs> space- Okay. About like, can we, can we use humanity's share of knowledge to prepare- like the fast forward advancement of some species and then in the second game you are stepping into like the what is left of the real world after okay. it was ravaged by viruses and climate change. Sure. So
4: it's mostly just a bunch yeah, of sure cobblestone, you know? So don't <laughs> like,
2: <laughs> ruins, I don't know. Ruins. We've got um, ruins.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. There a, a a series of ruins, I suppose. Um Yeah, I don't where do you go from there? <laughs> but Patrick, have you been playing have you been playing two? Are you interested in two?
2: No, I want to play two. I feel like two is uh, wow. That seems like a perfect uh, Steam Deck OLED game. You know, like a <laughs> little, a little. A You're little, trying to transcend I mean, with
4: the OLED, and just uh, yeah, OLED of puzzle of humanity. Slut. <laughs> like high
2: def uh, puzzle slutton. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna add that right now. Let's get into it. Uh, but no, I, I, I was curious to to see what you made of it because I wasn't sure if you'd played the first one and. Uh, I liked the first one so much, but like when Kato cackled at 2014, like, yeah, I really liked that game, but that was almost a decade yeah. ago. So yeah. I just Jesus. haven't thought about the <laughs> Talos principle all that much yeah. uh, in the, in the, in the decade since, which is not the Talos principles fault. That's yes. just not playing a game for 10 years. But I, I did. I thought that the puzzle design was really well done. And as you know, I, I mentioned about cocoon and a game like viewfinder, at times, I the Talos Principle was too much for me. Yeah. But like ninety percent of the game wasn't. Like it was just satisfying. Like setting up all these different lights and manipulating different mirrors and things like that. What what are the puzzle setups in the so, sequel? So far, I, I don't think I've seen much of it.
4: I'm again, I'm really early, but so far it's been you know introductory level stuff. So it's a lot of um, sort of these. I guess you can call them like holographic gates. Might like mm-hmm. block you know your you know you enter into a space and then you're trying to. Um, get a again because what are they called Tetranominoes? The little like Tetris pieces Tetram? Is that the right tetraminos? word? Tetraminos. Tetraminos, right? You're getting like at so. least in the early area, you're getting like tetraminos because like there's a big door that maybe like needs I don't know five tetraminos or something. So they're like go collect the pieces. So you enter into like what's essentially the room that has like the L shape, and then you're looking for how to acquire that piece, and the piece will be floating. On maybe an elevated platform. So then the puzzle becomes okay, how do you get up there? Maybe there's a few blocks that you can stack, but maybe that aspect of the puzzle is oh, but one's behind a barrier. So you have to learn how to, oh, you place one block onto the button that holds it down and then that opens that barrier. So some of them are like fairly simple, again, early puzzle stuff in that beginning area. And then the like harder ones that I've started to build to incorporate, you know, other. Devices in the space, things like fans that you might need to toggle on and off, things like a laser. Which I, it's funny because I stream this game and there's like a laser pointing through, and I'm like, can the laser kill me? And then I just like walk into it, and I'm like, no, it can. And <laughs> that's like, why is that like the first thing you do? I'm like, because then I know if it kills me, what What am going to wait thirty hours and then find out in an opportune time? You want to test? It's always be testing, everyone. Yeah. It's like, you know. Anyway, um, so it's that aspect of maybe manipulating. Okay, the fan can shoot this block over, um another puzzle uh, involved having what's kind of like, it essentially kind of looks like a little camcorder, um, but it's like a device that can maybe like block the holographic field from forming. So you might direct it in certain spaces or the classic, okay, you think you got to direct it in front of you, but if you turn to the side, there's an opening in the wall and it can shoot through to open on the other side. So maybe you're kind of, you know, moving pieces around as you progress through the space to acquire, you know, whatever blocks you might need to, eventually again it's all about reaching those little what essentially function is keys and then once you have all of them all the pieces you walk up to the door and then you just have to slot them in a way that fills the space so there's like it's funny because that little tiny bit of a puzzle like in a non-puzzle game like that's the extent of the puzzle you get but like here it's like you get a puzzle to get those and then you solve like a baby puzzle of placing them all to make one cohesive shape that then opens the door and i did about like I think maybe two of the big doors so again pretty early in but that's essentially how it's structured and I imagine you know as you progress it'll be more complicated with the you know stacking things you have to do um I'm sure maybe additional tool sets will be placed but that's it so far and then lore wise I feel like I don't know (laughs) my impression was like God's talking to me and he thinks I'm really good at doing these puzzles (laughs) 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 he's like great job and i'm like i'm so smart like so so far if you're um you know a little bit of a puzzle prude but you're open-minded to like hanging out (laughs) i think it's approachable so far i was worried it'd go immediately into like you need to trans, you need to transcend to solve these and i feel like okay Uh if i didn't if i didn't kind of get scare myself out of into being a little intimidated by this game i would just think this is a regular puzzle game i will say early on it's not like immediately illuminate you know people are really hot on this game and they're like the reviews are very rave i've yet to i haven't hit i think those peak parts of it yet but in any puzzle game i expect that to you know build over time like i don't expect to go in and immediately be wowed by any particular aspect that being said i did find the process satisfying and i'm looking forward to continuing what is i think essentially kind of a meaty game i feel like this
2: the first one was long it's like a Um,
4: 30 hour kind of
2: yeah rendezvous
4: with it's non? a meaty
2: puzzle, <laughs> big old puzzle. Uh, uh, yeah. I, okay. I fun. couldn't find a like a formal wiki page, like a Wikipedia page for Talos Principle Two. So I'm I'm going down the wiki totem pole to uh to a uh, a fandom uh one, and it's like I so you know quality may vary here, <laughs> but approximately a thousand years after the collapse of the situation, approximately a thousand years after the collapse of the simulation, a new life is born. You play as one K the last of the humans. Emerging into this strange new world, you are immediately beset by crisis. The city of New Jerusalem is at the brink of collapse, and a mysterious apparition calling himself Prometheus urges you to seek him on the island. Eager to learn the source of this inexplicable being, you are joined by expedition leader Byron, his close friend and first officer Alcatraz, the grumpy mechanic and engineer Melville, the enthusiastic Uh. young navigator... Yack
4: is this true? Are you do you have all these characters? I haven't met these people yet, but again, I'm really early. Um <laughs> okay. don't, don't have me if I took one hour to do a 10-minute process. Okay,
2: sure. I don't know.
4: <laughs> sure. I mean, I'm some I'm, bullshit happening. I know in at, towels, at one point too. also, I know at one point there's cats in this game. <laughs> like, all right. like I've seen like I saw I don't know, I don't want to spoil the game for people, but I saw f- social stuff about at one point you're gonna see some pictures of cats, and I'm like, all right, sure. That sounds cool, but yeah, yeah out cats. the gate. I mean, I'm in, I'm enjoying it, just hanging out, solving the puzzles. But I haven't gotten into the deep lore of the many mechanics that may or may not be have souls. I don't know. I just know God's like, you're doing great, and I'm like, I love being affirmed by a voice I can't see. <laughs> Spiritual this is, being, yeah. This feels this feels good. You know, uh, the, I turn the fan on. The, the The block shoots at me. You know, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember doing this in Portal. This is fun. I'm having a good time. <laughs>
2: Excellent. Well, I'll check. I'll check this out. I might not get it to the holidays, but it's it's been it's been on my list.
4: Yeah.
1: Uh, Patrick. The last thing on this list is WarioWare.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've played. Yeah, a little, uh, WarioWare Move It. I think is what the the new one is yeah. is called. Um, it's yeah, came out on Switch a, a couple of weeks back. Uh, yeah, the WarioWare series has. Started real high and then it's had some lows in some recent entries. It, I think, it, it's it was at its best when it was on a handheld for the GBA and for the DS. Like, it had some really inventive uses of like motion, um, uh, and like tilting the different like handheld devices Nintendo's had over the years. And some of the ones that have been on the Wii and the Wii U have, have not been as, as strong. Um, wireware, if you're unfamiliar, is. Uh, I think it's, like, the the first time I had heard, like, the term micro game. Like, so they are mini games, but mini games are something you do, you know, for 30 seconds, a minute, a couple of minutes. A micro game in WarioWare is something that you are, you're spending maybe 5, 10 seconds in, in which you are dropped into a situation and have to accomplish it, like, exceedingly fast. Like, that's the whole idea. We're like, uh... You don't know it's a platformer, but you go in and the game goes jump, and then you have to like hit A like as like a boulder comes across the screen, um, or uh, you get dropped into another one. It's like ah, you're holding a fly swatter, like hit the fly. And th- the surprise element is a huge part of what makes WarioWare work and function. There is a lot of really goofy humor tied up in WarioWare games. One of the one of the micro games in the new one is like pulling hairs out of a nose mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. it measures whatever one is the longest and that's the winner. <laughs> but when you pull them out, they're all kind of bent and twisted and then it slowly straightens out the nose hair. Amazing. So you don't know like which one is the, the the longest until they all kind of get like flattened out. You can just play well, that need- by aging. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, the, uni- no. the
2: unique part about this one is so you need an actual uh, like it wouldn't function on a uh, uh switch light uh you actually have to remove the joy cons and use the motion uh elements uh th- separately th- i was on a uh, uh a presentation with nintendo some like a month or two back where they were walking through some of their holiday lineup i was doing it for some of the cross play stuff i do and wireware was one of the games presented and someone asked a very normal question you might ask them like, well what happens if you own a like a, a switch light that doesn't have detachable Joy Cons, and they're like, um, it was like a very Nintendo. It was like, how do we tell them like you're fucked? But um, <laughs> like, you're not I, you, can I, can it get, work? you can
4: just have Joy Con, and then you can still play it. <laughs> why did yeah, they, he could get other well, Joy
2: Cons yeah. and then buy connected to it? Well, but it doesn't have a stand. Uh, why, you
4: can't why, do you, why do you dock a stand? It, right?
2: And you can't dock it because you would need to be able to look at. You know what I mean? I guess just like,
4: lean it against something.
2: I want you. I, well, you can I guess that's like too jank of an you, you answer. You get a squishmallow and like, put it on your hey, chest, yeah. and then everyone can start playing while you're where-
4: You can get buy everyone go buy a squishmallow. You put that shit on your lap and you put your fucking Steam Deck or your Switch or your fucking PlayDeck <laughs> or whatever and tell me that shit's not more comfortable. And now you're looking at a cute little adorable face, too. It's a win win. I have so. so many
2: squishmallows or squishmallow yeah. adjacent things in my house. I'm going to give this a shot. Yeah, grab a, nice. grab a little
4: squishy and improve uh, Jan, uh, your life.
2: Rob, it's right. Jan is basically pointing at a squishmallow. Yeah. Like that.
4: It's a little thing. cactus. Guy. They're
2: giant plushies. Oh,
1: I have a really.
4: Hold on. I have, I have a really.
2: Extremely big one. comfortable. Oh, wait. and they come Janet, in various Janet's sizes. getting a,
1: a, a more incriminating. Oh my special. god! Yeah, okay. <laughs> this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
4: I got one that's like the size of a beanbag chair. I call yes. them Digby Rigby. They come with legal names, but I rename them nice. to simulate them to my apartment. This is a know. giant
3: raccoon that is an orb. For the listeners,
4: it's so cute. And
3: if you go to if you go to Costco,
2: uh, if again, oh, yeah. Squishmallow is the term that people use. Like it's the most popular brand, but there's a lot that circle around that 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 functions similarly. At Costco, they have like big mm-hmm. like containers full of them. And when my my oldest was like two, I would just throw her into them, and she would <laughs> sink underneath oh, the Squishmallows, what? and then. And then swim, swim her way out. It was tremendous. Amazing. And then as she would get older, she would ask if I could do that again. I was like, No, you're five. I can't throw you into ah, the bucket. You're of this too big. Switch. It's there are things you well. It's not that she was too big, but like there are things you can get away with, mm. like when right. you're younger. You know what mm. I mean? Where it's like, Oh, it's cute that that kid is doing that. It's like less cute <laughs> as they get older and more.
3: <laughs> come on, like.
4: That's why just buy your own squishmallows me and when I'm 30 digging in the pile, yeah, <laughs> like, hey. I'm just
3: climbing in.
4: <laughs> oh, I need to get there, a time from
2: something. <laughs> <laughs> so, so move it, uh, is, is very uh motion based, and so a lot of it is we'll get into a uh, a micro game and it it kind of slows down the pace of WarioWare a bit because it needs to make sure that you understand the motion. So, like, for example, there's one that's almost like you're doing a like an uh like you're an elephant. And so you're you're putting, imagine there's like the Joy-Con in here, and you're putting that up to your face, and you have to make sure that it's facing the right direction so that it knows what motion it's supposed like what it's looking at and what it's doing. And so a meter fills up. So it's like before the game starts, each player has to do the like generic, like where is the Joy-Con supposed to be? And then it fills up and it's like, you did it. And so in this particular micro game, you're piloting like a little duck that's trying to get across uh, like a little path. And so to do that, you're moving your head around and have to hold the joy con. It's very cute. Um, there's one where you put it at your side and then you squat in order to stamp things that are coming down like a machine and the, <laughs> the papers have different point values on them. And so it's like, you're trying to squat like a 10 point and a 50 point and a hundred point. And so you're sitting there Looking like a jackass. Yeah. Uh, it's it's it's, I it's, think it's
3: really the fact that you didn't fun. play this on stream is a crime. We need to. It's look. on the it's on the wheel. Yeah, it's it's, it's, I, it's not been removed. <laughs> it is it is still a possibility.
2: I've long <laughs> said
1: the wheel is itself a crime like, <laughs> you know, from its inception. I was like, oh, I hate this damn thing.
2: Oh, you say, you say you hate crime and yet you built so many police stations in uh, city
1: skylines. To yeah, those and, two things go right together. Yeah, Patrick. That's, I, that's I hate crime. Point right and there. I built the police CIA. <laughs> and I built the good police station, and then mm. I built a People super prison. People always think they're
4: building the good police station, don't they? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, look,
2: it's when diff- you have
4: it's different with me.
2: When you have three criminals in your city, and they have a, they're each getting away with crimes. Like you gotta, <laughs> you don't want to let them get out of control. Well, it wasn't three, turn three
3: until, until after you built the police. <laughs> don't forget, the, the city had one criminal that was very successful. No, but successful. it's because we depressed <laughs>
1: because. The police showed up and I was like, what a great place to live. More people came, more crime came. Oh. I think it was just a natural consequence of good city governments. <laughs> but no, what's, what's more liberal than being like, damn, my police ain't getting the job done. <laughs> <laughs> I need to invest more money in a better facility. It's, it's, like, it's like to like fix You're policing. Right. We adopt That's... the approach of like oh. athletic directors at D1 schools <laughs> where it's like, these guys just need a better locker room. Yeah, you know, it's we got to we got to pour this money. Sadly, uh, that into... is the most
4: liberal move you can make. You're right. <laughs> like, you can't full circle. Uh, all
1: right. So uh, I haven't like I've been playing something that I can't talk about yet. Uh, beyond that, I guess I'll just shout out the fact that i have been playing a lot of KOTOR 1, Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, <laughs> and I will say just the arc I've been on that we've we've been talking about it over on a more civilized age.
3: Did we ever get that 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 little bit from Too Mellow? There was that bit, right? Remember?
1: Oh, the little jingle, the, jingle the, of the Rob's jingle Random of Rob's,
3: like? I was playing a game that's ages old. We did, we did.
1: I think I think he sent it to me because I asked specifically for it. I'll try to dig it up. but yeah. it was it was good. Uh, but the the thing I'll just say because this is uh, and Patrick, I think you'll understand where I'm coming from. Mm. When we do our shows on Knights of the Old Republic, and it's me talking to Austin, Natalie, Allie about Knights of the Old Republic, I'm like, what a fun game. I can't wait to go back and play more KOTOR uh, after this conversation because mm-hmm. like, it's, it's such a fun game and a good game to talk about. And then the podcast ends and I go and I sit down and I play <laughs> Knights of the Old Republic. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, this has not aged well. Is uh, is it
3: possible that some of the blame lays at the feet of your baby? Are you saying I <laughs> built
1: my character wrong? Look,
3: wow. I think you I, will say, it. I will say I
2: will say sometimes I believe the Kotor podcasts from your from a more civilized age do get cross-posted to waypoints or to and remaps Reddit, and I have noticed a couple of times. <laughs> People have wondered if Rob understands how the stats work in the game, and if maybe it's the reason the game's really hard. Wow. I you know I haven't listened to these podcasts. I can't, I can't so totally to this. fair. I'm just
4: coming
3: coming off. Rob of is playing... not going to be able to dodge
4: these stat allegations. <laughs> this is this is rough. It's, a,
3: it's a perfectly normal thing to to think after playing Baldur's Gate three, which you know you can you get you have so many options to move through that world and all the stats in the RP you can build the talking. Yeah, they're all, all good. The wrong ones, they're all, there's all, all the options end up being usable for the most part. Yep. I'm Not like, everyone's so a fighter in, in my team. Work.
4: Is that is that
3: is that okay? <laughs> is that a mistake? <laughs> it's totally fine. You can do whatever you want, in Baldur's Gate. You'll find a way I'm through. I'm like pick
4: up I'm like you you heal but pick up a stick and get to work, okay? <laughs> yeah. Start throwing Ugh. rocks at somebody for one damage. I don't care.
3: Rob
2: Demon Souls was my game of the year, and I put so many fucking upgrades into <laughs> intelligence back me.
1: No, luck. Luck, Sadly, luck. It was luck. Worse. luck, luck. Even
3: worse. Yeah. Luck. Even worse. You're the
2: luckiest luck. man in the realm, though. <laughs> luck.
1: And then people were like, you know, drops. luck does pay off eventually, after you've beaten the game, basically, and <laughs> you're getting, there, there's an item that'll make that stat worth it, and I was like, what about right now? Can, can luck can luck help me beat these fuckers? No, no, it can't. I
4: feel like it should though. Like I feel like luck should be like sometimes um, there's a one percent chance the boss just dies on their own, <laughs> yeah. natural They causes. Just keel over. Yeah. But, um, heart attack. Why does luck have to be? I feel like luck is so specifically defined in games. Yeah, luck is about like I should be able to manifest.
1: Good yes. things happening for
4: me. I mean, it should be
1: manifesting. It should be <laughs> yes. like, yeah, like vi- by positive attitude.
4: Yeah. Like good vibes. Like yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm dumb and destitute, but like I have good energy about me <laughs> and that helps me navigate the world. That's what it should be. But. Yeah.
1: I was like, I was down to like, you know, one, one hit yeah. point, I got hit by a boss's, like, giant flail, and I got bounced into a heal pot, and now I'm good to go <laughs> Exactly. And ready to, uh, ready yeah, to keep Yeah, they fighting. actually
3: smashed over, yeah, they smashed a, a potion in your pocket. <laughs>
1: Yeah, When yeah. he actually just like beat the shit out of you Like just cut your legs out from under you That actually uh, popped your knee back into its socket <laughs> yeah. And now you're like You've never, never a... felt
4: better <laughs> it's absolut- I would play this game Somebody be uh, That
1: happened to me the other night by the way uh, uh-huh. Not a boss beating the shit out of me But um, <laughs> like uh I was extremely pinned by one of the dogs in uh the middle of the night, and I was like trying to sort of maneuver around. She was not helping. She was not uh <laughs> it's Mina, because like she was yeah. She obviously the little one's not gonna pin me. Uh Mina was just like dead weight, and I was like, try and turn. She heard you. And suddenly there was like yeah. this horrible pop and a flash of pain from my left knee. <gasps> and now my left knee feels better than it has <laughs> in years.
0: Oh, okay
1: and wow. it's clicking less huh like my knee was like it had I mean, lots of weird clicking grinding noises over the years and now it's That's like incredible this, hey. thing kinda, this thing is just kind of this thing's just kind of working
3: smoothing smoothed out
1: <laughs> yeah so uh you know it's possible that uh you know i by like having the dog sort of Perform sort of a, a wrenching action on my knee. I actually yeah. fixed some sort your of your dog's like problem. those
4: chiropractors on TikTok who are just like take a deep <laughs> breath and just crinkle a bottle of water. Uh,
1: but anyway, yeah. So like, Kotor, I was like super high coming off uh, Baldur's Gate, and I was like, I'm gonna be Mister Persuasive. And this is a game where, like, occasionally you can persuade people, like, I'll get a discount in the store. And that's all that matters. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not going to let you, like, completely talk your way through situations. This is a combat game. This is a grind. Yeah. Every time you turn around, it's like, fight mm-hmm. these dudes. And I was like, my character is not going to be a fighter. No points for fighting stats for this guy. Uh, and then I dumped a lot of points into explosives. And that was really useful for a minute. And then the game's like... Uh, Well, we're not going to give you any more grenades, but we'll give you lots of mines. But the combat system is too, like, primitive to make, like, mine placement work. You can place mines, but your allies will run over them uh, <laughs> to to engage the enemy and, like, take huge friendly fire. So the point is, like, it's the classic. You're talking to Austin and you're like, this game is fucking awesome. I love playing this game. This is I love KOTOR. And then, like you're not talking to Austin, you're uh-huh. playing Kotor <laughs> in your house by yourself.
2: Austin, Austin can can and can uh, cast a spell with describing <laughs> how an encounter plays out, and then you play that encounter. It's like those are just five trolls, and like I just have to shoot them. And it's like when I- Austin's voice. Is not uh, uh, monologuing that for me. It loses a little bit of the magic. Yeah,
1: yeah. There's so uh, there's a bit of that. I'm starting. I'm starting to like. I've gotten to a good. I- I've fallen to a good like pace with the game. Uh, Kato, to your point, mm. a merchant basically sells a suit of armor that's like. So you fucked up your bill.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: I, I was like. I finally committed I was like (laughs) I think I fucked up my bills and this thing is worth like more money than I've seen in the game oh my god I am going to I'm gonna buy this suit yeah so that because it's a suit that like not only has really good baseline armor stats but then also gives you a boost to all your like uh chad stats (laughs) And, uh, so it's like suddenly my guy who's like wimpy, clumsy, all this, like here, have some strength, have some dexterity, have some constitution. Amazing. (laughs) And so now I'm like starting to, starting to cruise through this game. Uh, doesn't make it a better system, right? It's still like, sure. Combat systems have really improved since this sort of janked together. Like we're gonna have a real time D and D system, uh, going here from a third person action perspective, like, I think here's the thing. This game makes the Witcher 1's combat look good. That is that is the way I will that is the way I will summarize summarize that. Uh, Anyway, let's get to letters before we before we call it a day here.
2: Oh, there is one one piece of uh, modern connective tissue here, which uh, I was pulling it up while you were talking about it, which is, you know, Embracer, everyone's favorite game company. Uh, who, who said that they? Who said they're on the path to profitability because they're going to do a shitload of sales and layoffs in the next like six months? So get ready for like em- a remake might have to have like a remake might have to have like an embracer corner. Like, what fucked up thing they do this week as they try and figure <laughs> out the lack of free money? Anyway, they embracer was working with uh, uh was Aspire Aspire yeah um, but- to to uh, a, a KOTOR remake that was announced several years ago. Was then revealed to have uh, huge development problems, is not anywhere near finished. Uh, and uh, <laughs> their, uh, Embracer had a financial call, and Embracer's CEO Lars Wingfurs remains this is from an IGN story uh, remains tight lipped when asked uh, how he was feeling about a Kotor remake. Quote I notice that anything I say to this becomes a headline, so that is my only comment. Sound like development's going and great. And did that become
4: a headline also? Yeah, <laughs> that became a headline
2: because that seems to suggest that things aren't great. Uh, uh that game's probably uh, never coming out, which is a tragedy because oof. as Rob pointed out, it is one of those games that a remaster wouldn't go far enough, I think. I think a re- like an actual remake would be the best thing you could do to to a, a game like Kotor to make it to make that impact felt in the same way that how it felt for me when I played it when it originally came out.
1: Yeah, I think we we talked a little bit about remake prospects. Uh, I think on the Q and A for AMCA, but I think we we sort of came around on like it. It might seem at first glance like this is a game ripe for a remake or remaster. It's really not. It's like the the bones are not. You like it would have to be a complete reimagining to I think be worth it. Yeah, because a fresh coat of paint, uh, the structure you'd be applying that paint to is like just it's just too old fashioned. Uh, and it is itself just kind of a transitional design as Bioware is trying to figure out, like, what does an RPG in the console era uh, look like as opposed to, like, late 90s PC. Uh, all right. Just a couple of questions here at the end. Uh, Lucas writes, well, it finally happened to me. I got laid off at my tech digital media job. Not to make you all relive your experiences with that process again again, but I'd love any advice you all care to share. What are good ways to stay motivated now that I'm hunting for a new job for the first time in six years? If I do any freelance writing, will that decrease what I can collect from California unemployment overall? Or will what I don't collect that week remain in the pool and extend my collection period? Is there any place better than LinkedIn to find new gigs or is it the lesser of all evils? How long can I send people the... Do you think a depressed person, person could make this meme uh, when they ask how I'm doing before it becomes annoying? Do you need someone to write about anime for the site? I've uh, got more than enough time now to help you out if y'all do. Uh, thanks for your perspective on this and everything else y'all talk about on the pod. Sincerely, Lucas. So I think the first thing I'll say here up front is like we are very keenly aware here at Remap that we had a very special and fortunate situation when we were laid off. Uh, this was a case where we had a ba- a business basically like we were the business yeah. and we were able to just sort of step out and do what we were doing under vice as a different company. Uh, and so it was like the it was a like I, I can't I, I can't honestly pretend to like and this taught me about unemployment because I think if I told you like just do what I did. It'd be the most bootstraps ass advice uh, <laughs> that, that is imaginable. And it's not widely applicable. The other thing is this though, before vice, I don't have a lot of experience being laid off because I was a freelance writer for ages. And so what happens is you miss gigs, you don't get hired for jobs. Uh, you lose clients, but you don't ever lose your job. You just kind of see the money coming in, go down terrifyingly. And then you hope you can do something to make the the money coming in, go up. Uh, and, and so like, that was a different sort of precarity where it was, I certainly would have wanted a freelance, a, a, a permanent gig uh, and was happy to like finally get one. But the weird thing is you end up in this place where you're like neither fully hired uh, and you don't like, in, in some ways you're never fully employed or at least not with the sort of benefits that that you kind of need. But it also means you never like learn the ins and outs of like, here's what, here's what you do when well, they don't call you into the office anymore. They send you an email and then they turn off your computer. But, you know, metaphorically, you're like, I don't have a lot of experience with the you've been called into the office and like this is the end. Uh, and so I think, you know, this is more a case where I'd be. I'm curious what some of our listeners know about this stuff. I, I like the stuff about uh, does freelancing undercut unemployment. I'm not sure uh honestly uh this was always something that uh sort of scared me a bit cuz there were times I did lose gigs and then it was like does uh does the fact that I still have freelance clients uh mean that like unemployment status is is murkier? uh that's that that's sort of stuff that you you do need to look at people who really know what they are talking about as for like finally a gig it it's weird i think it's it's one of the the strange things about this this moment where by a lot of metrics it is still a decent labor market but in some sectors it really isn't and there's like layoffs sweeping through them on mass and so the most the most likely places that you'd immediately turn around and be like, well, I will find work over here, they also just had layoffs. You know, the sort of lateral move like job hunts that you would immediately do, it sort of feels like for a lot of people in digital media uh or digital media adjacent type stuff, that's just not that's not available. Um and so I think, you know, that probably the 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 one piece of advice I would give here is if there were a moment to think outside the box and be like, fuck this career path, this might be the one. Like, I I, I do think sometimes, like, if by some chance someone were like, do you want to claw your way back into another media job, another full-time media job? Or would you rather break out of media entirely? Not do PR, not do games media, but, like, go learn some other trade or or go do some other, like you know, sales work, just something, just something I would probably do that. Like I would probably just do like pursue that rather than be like, I want to claw my way back into this industry where layoffs are endemic and it's sort of set up so that like, you're not going to have a stable career.
2: The, when, right when we were laid off and before we knew that, It it, it was kind of the interim period before like we knew how much time we were going to have. Like the first thing my wife and I did, and I was was very fortunate that she also makes decent money. But she said, hey, the way we should structure the next month is let's assume everything you make is going away. She's like, I know that you're going to do some – like you could do freelance. Like, but let's just take what I make and how do we structure our lives – to make it work. Does that mean the kids go out of daycare and then you're taking care of them? Like, like what, what do we have to, how would we reorient it where we could make life work that way? And part of that was uh, like a framework she proposed to me it was like, what if you don't want to do this anymore? Like, then you need to give yourself space to figure out what it is you want to do. And, and she's like, I know that the job market is awful right now. So like, that's probably not going to happen. In a week. So, like, how do we figure out our life? Like, what food are we making? Like, how are we, like, how are the children taken care of so that you could have six? Now, part of this is because she knows how I am, which is that I'm going to panic. And like, I get very stressed about money. And she's like, but we should try and find a world where, like, I know I can't help you with being stressed. You're going to just be stressed. I know, like, she knows that. But like, it was very smart of her to be like, how do we figure it out where you are not wondering every day? Like, how are we paying for the bills? The bills will get paid. It's going to be tight. It's going to be different. We're making a lot of food on Sundays to, like, make big meals for the rest of the week and things like that. But how can we give you the space where you could think about what Rob's talking about? Like, what if you wanted to do something meaningfully different? Like, you're smart. You could find something else to do. What would that be? Um, I'm fortunate uh, to have fallen into the path that we have and – that I've been able to build something really interesting out of the ashes of, of waypoint. But, you know, and I don't know Lucas's situation. I don't know their financial situation, but like, that's one of the things my wife and I did when we like our backs were against the walls. It was like, okay, how do we give you that spot where you could even think about your life differently than what you've been doing for the past 20 plus years. It's like, let's think about our money differently. And, and, and then fortunately I didn't have to walk that path, but, uh, that's at least how we thought about it early on Um because it's difficult. Like if you've done the thing you've, I don't know how long Lucas has been doing this job, but like certainly like Rob, you and I like when you've been doing it for that long, it's hard to break your brain out of, well, just go find job. That's like job I've been doing. But then as these walls have been closing in where maybe that's not available. And if you're not in the position to, monetize like your personality and your podcast like if you're not, that's very unique. That is I, like a very small amount of people. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be difficult to get into the space where you're balancing. What are your financial obligations to yourself, to the people around you and also giving yourself the creative leeway to, to like rethink who you are and what your aspirations are and how do you want to apply like your labor and your, and your interests as it applies to, to work. So there aren't easy answers there. And like Rob said, like we're a terrible uh, (laughs) test case where there are no lessons to be learned. Um, Yeah. Get get extremely lucky um, and have like management friends that fight like hell for you. Like good good luck. Like having that part, even as you're getting laid off.
4: Yeah. I don't know the practicality either of like freelance while you are collecting unemployment. Um, And funnily enough, the people who I think probably should know that, Probably also don't know that. I'm just going to figure out later. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm not really (laughs) sure. Um, One of the times I was laid off from a job was my first ever teaching job, Um, which I think I got laid off so early. Like, I don't think I qualified for any money anyway. So like, I got laid off, like literally, (laughs) like I got this job. I don't know if I've ever told the story on a podcast. I got this job. Um, I'll make it short, though, because it's not as relevant to the question, right? Where I started, you know, usually start like before the school year starts. So I started like in August with like prep stuff. And then, you know, had my students and I only taught for like two weeks, maybe two, three weeks. And it was, it was also it was hell on earth. <laughs> the school was really rough. Um, like it, just the infrastructure of it. It was like I lived in Chicago at the time. It was a charter school. Charter schools are fine, but there are, you know, everything has its different pros and cons. Right. And definitely. You could feel some of those cons. Uh, one of them was in that I got laid off like immediately because we were under enrolled. So basically they had what I didn't realize is they hired me assuming that they'd have enough kids to justify my position then they felt like they didn't so they're like well now i do i had a lot of like students and they're like oh yeah you're um my boss basically like the the department lead like he's just going to take all those students now and i'm like man that that seems tough too. i mean i got you know i'm like honestly a lot of people are getting I feel like that's not the, the, the thing
1: that charter schools are promising though when they sell no, themselves it is not. It's like yeah. you know if the numbers are down a year we'll just fire a teacher and have an admin yeah, admin's used to teach yeah, we'll have like, literally at one those point kids.
4: I'm not even kidding I think at one point the principal was teaching a class So that's cool like it was there's a lot of problems right but I got laid off um you know I've had um you know family members who have gotten like laid off from jobs um over the years like I'm just existing so I kind of you know have I know what that space is like, and, and kind of, in my opinion, what to do. Like the things that I advise people to do, and one thing is if it's a, at all in any way financially possible, because the reality is there are some people that are really, like I li- even missing one check is going to be like almost inconceivable, right? Like, and if that's your case, you'll know that, and you can navigate accordingly. You know, maybe you try to do quick gig work, like a, an Uber Eats, uh, an Instacart, just something to like keep the lights on kind of thing or like rush to get like whatever job you can get. Like, I don't know your situation. Right. But if you can at all take half a week to a week, just kind of off, which I know like people don't really like to do because they're like, no, I have to like figure this out right now. Like the world is crumbling. And I think that's a very natural reaction, but just giving yourself an emotional second, because you know, it is like a shocking thing to be laid off and it can't, and it does have all these stresses. And even if you do end up using some of that time to plan, like, even if it's not a lot of space give yourself a little bit of space to you know feel your feelings to be mad about it to be frustrated to be to talk to the people you know friends and family about what's going on um and sort of figure out what is the next move from there so that's one recommendation and then yeah i think you you know look at your financials if you live with people you talk to them you know if you have a partner obviously your ideally your partner really does feel like a partner right someone that you work with on navigating the highs and lows of life and you figure out, you know, what is our situation, right? Is it basically what, you know, Patrick's wife basically had stepped in to do like thinking about, well, at what point would you need to just get literally anything where it's like, okay, we like literally need money. So like, I don't know what you're to do, but you got to, that's the reality for a lot of people where you just have to get a job doing something because, you know, what are you going to do? Like for me, like after I taught, like I ended up working at GameStop for a little while, which looking back, I probably shouldn't have done because the pay was really, really, really low because it was outside the city. So it had like less than city minimum wage. And by the time I took the bus, if you had to eat at that GameStop shift, you netted like $2. So (laughs) honestly, my time probably would have been better spent not even doing that job and just looking for work, but that's kind of neither here nor there. Right. That's what I did. Then I substitute taught, which was better pay more flexibility. And then I kind of clawed my way into finding other gigs and, you know, life goes on. But Give yourself the space you can and then figure out is there how much time can I look for a job that I just that I want? Um, and then obviously, the reality may be at a certain point, you just need a job, and then that becomes you know, now it's like get anything you can, but at what point do you need to panic and kind of mark that and be honest about that? Even if the honesty is like a bit of a cushion, um, you know, where maybe you're like, oh, I don't want to cut it too close. Okay, if you know that about yourself. Pick that date in your calendar. And then that's the day where maybe you shift over from seeking the job you want, whether it's in your field or a new field, and then going to what's going to pay my bills. And then again, like, you know, if you're lucky, life is long, right? Where it's like a dream deferred is not a dream denied. You might end up getting a job that you're like, this is just to pay the bills, and you're still looking for a job on the side that you really want. And that sucks because that's a lot of work, but figuring that out. And then I also think acknowledging that looking for a job is work. I think a lot of times people feel this pressure and guilt, and they're like, I have to apply to 30 jobs a day, every day, and I can't, you know, step out for a breath of fresh air until I get a job. Like, temper that down a bit, be a little bit more realistic, set some hours, or some goals on <clears throat> when you look for a job, amounts you apply to, and take breaks. Kind of, your job is now looking for a job, and just like any job, you don't want to be grinding eight consecutive hours, not interrupt, you know, like,
3: you will write worse cover letters. Yes. You will <laughs> you yes, will make like, worse decisions on like hour absolutely. ten of looking through a bunch of things and starting to fill out forms and mean like, What which one is this again? <laughs>
4: like Exactly. I, I think too, um, connect with social circles you have. You know, obviously yeah. we all have privileges of having clout in the industry, in our field, a lot of friends in our industry that can, you know, do a lot for us. Like that's social capital, but everyone has spaces. Like maybe your spaces are just a few family members. Maybe your spaces are like 30 people on Twitter or LinkedIn, like wherever you have, once you decide what you want to do, tell people, hey, this is what I'm looking to do. The worst that can happen is nothing happens. But guess what? That's the result if you do nothing anyway. So you might as well just put it out there if that's within your comfort zone. But those are my tips for clawing clawing your way back into getting things going again. Um, But yeah, it's definitely a tough situation for anyone that's ever gone through that.
1: Yeah, that is good advice, and I'm sure our listeners have have more. Yeah. Um. But yeah, best best of luck to you. and Sorry to hear about the layoffs. Like, uh, it's it's horrible seeing these waves of uh layoffs burning through different sectors. Yeah.
3: One thing worth checking on because every state does this differently, and I just double checked New York's because I rem- when they were asking like, can you freelance and take in money while also taking in uh unemployment in New York? It's actually hour hour based. So Mm. it depends on what hours you, like, are technically working. And it's, like, if you work 10 or less hours in a week, you get full unemployment benefits in New York. If you work over that, you start getting less and less, and it eats into more. So it's, like, you have to check for your state, but it's not always just, like, a one-to-one. Like, if you're making a certain amount of money, they will not pay you out as much. So it's going to, unfortunately, vary depending on where you live. But definitely worth looking into, because apparently also, like, you know, some people... A lot of people assume they're just just not eligible for whatever reason without actually applying. Even if you're boldface not eligible based on things that are on like the, uh, like the unemployment website, put in the application anyways because sometimes those things are less cut and dry than they seem. Um, and it's always worth, you know, put it costs nothing usually to put in that application. So, uh, yeah.
1: Um. Yeah, I think the last thing I mentioned is just like it was said in jest, but the the bit about the like could a depressed person make this and where you share this. Think about who you are sharing that with. Um, that is, I think it is an it's an odd phenomenon where we live our lives semi in public, and like I think you know one to the question of like should I look for stuff on LinkedIn? You might as well. Unfortunately, this is one of the major like job market lead. Generating play like LinkedIn sucks. It's a silly place, <laughs> uh, but like it is, it is like a place that you should probably keep tabs on. But the other thing that I would say is like being laid off in a lot of these the professional uncertainty. This stuff can be like really personally painful. The economic mm-hmm. uncertainty that on that is tied to that like can be really nerve wracking. Uh, but the thing is, when it comes to like people like like in terms of job leads. Uh, in general, I think it's it, like, you'll want to make sure that your the profile you're presenting as far as like, I'm looking for work is going to be more optimistic, like ready to go. My shit's together. Uh, just looking for the next thing. And the more like raw and real stuff, probably like that's for friends and family. Uh, and that's what friends and family are there for. I would be careful about like crossing those streams. Um, now, you know, if they're like, there are people who are blessed with a position where it's like, I got loads of jobs for friends who are hard up. And if you have one of those friends, like, and you, you feel safe being like, Hey man, like I need a gig. Leverage that. Do not be ashamed of asking like people for opportunities. uh, If you know, they, they got them to hand out. Uh, Don't, don't be ashamed to like need work and need money. But in terms of like, Where you do those kinds of business, that like personal business versus like the professional like jobs job search stuff, separate them out a bit, uh, so so that like the persona of you as like potential hire, uh, is different than like the person who's like, you know, gotta gotta huddle with friends and be like, man, I'm going through it. Yeah, there's Uh, because
3: yeah, I was just gonna say to that to that point about asking people too. There's this like you know obviously the like term nepo baby coming through and like kind of tainting the idea of like getting jobs as offers like jobs as offers it's like that's rich people problems right like that's like for positions that we're not even like considering like yes yeah ask your yeah absolutely like janet said earlier as well you should be reaching out to all of your social circles as that you can it's i know it's gonna feel it might it, it definitely might feel rough for a lot of people but it's uh, it's not shameful. We all need jobs to survive in this fucking society. It's yeah. totally normal. Yeah. Like, you should be able to... I think, too, Yeah,
4: to Rob's point, um, I, I would agree with that. Like, it's it might sound funny to hear because I am very, like, you know, mixed personal with professional online because of my... The kind of space we operate. Like, it's like, you know, you kind of know your field, right? So, like, I just... I'm me on Twitter, and I'm, like, you know... But I'm a still curated me to a yep. degree. You know what I mean? Like, there are things as wild as I am on social media, which I'm, I'm pretty candid about just like the, the should I think, the should I say, there's still some stuff I do not post on social media. Um, and that's very intentional, you know, and everyone decides those lines for themselves. But I do think, especially when it comes to the energy you're putting forth with who you are as a professional, um, you want to, you know, put your best foot forward. And I think sometimes it is tempting to like have that vent session. And I don't, I think, for the most part, most people aren't going to, I don't know, look at that and be like, oh, you're sad. I don't want to hire you. You know, it's not quite that deep. However, it's like l- craft your statement, put it out there and have it be, boom, this is what I'm saying. This is my pin tweet. Right. And frankly, too, like, don't be afraid to have, I don't know, people help you write those posts. Like, I, I guess yeah. this is something not talked about as much, but there's been many, many things, usually, not, you know, the innocuous or good news, even where I have my family, like. Read it over. Like, hey, I want to say this, and this. When I have like something really intentional, I want to say on the internet. Like, even when it's on social media, I do have peers read it sometimes. Like, hey, this is how I want to say this. You know, if I have a really important email to send, that I feel like I want extra input in. Like, I ask for help on that too. Like, yeah, you know, if you're not sure, or if you're like, hey, I want to make this joke. Is this funny, or does this make me look like? maybe a certain way your friend will, you know, have a friend that could maybe answer that question for you where they're like, Oh no, that's cool. Or like, uh, I don't know. I feel like that might look a little, Full a little spicy. funky. Yeah. And I've even yeah. had that with like, I want to maybe say this thing. Do you think I'm worried? It'll be, should I say this? Or would it be maybe taken the wrong way? And they're like, ah, no, like you're overthinking or like, you know, don't be afraid to reach out for those things too. Cause they, they do matter. You know what you, what you post online, what you say, how you interact, how you present yourself is important. So um, lean on people. For help on that, too, if you're ever in doubt or looking for an extra set of eyes before making the set of eyes the entire Internet where I'm like, oh, maybe this is for a diary and not for not for the Internet.
1: Um. All right. I think. My dogs are getting rowdy, so I gotta that's not that's not a euphemism. Like my dogs (laughs) are getting rowdy. (laughs) (laughs) These these dogs are barking. My dogs (laughs) are getting rowdy, folks. I gotta get out of here. I've kept it together on this on this video call for two hours, but boy, uh, I better go. No, the dogs the dogs are getting rowdy. Uh, so that will conclude (laughs) another episode of Remap Radio. We'll have some stuff going up over the Thanksgiving break. Uh, but we won't be doing another one of these during Thanksgiving week because one of the great things about where we're at right now, uh, like speaking to our own good fortune here a little bit, in previous years, in the olden times, we would have to pretend to work on Thanksgiving week. We would mm-hmm. have to show I'm not burning sick days or PTO on Thanksgiving week. No, I'm just going to clock in and nobody's going to be doing shit. And then around like... 10 a.m. on Wednesday I'm just going to quietly start doing Thanksgiving preparatory activities and then at like 4 on Wednesday I'll be like leaving a little early folks Goodbye, and calling it
2: well we used to have the, there was um uh Jason Kebler uh you know who wonderful like uh boss of ours hugely responsible for uh you know where we're at now running co-running For media go support them Jason's been on the show a number of times uh one of the my favorite dynamics, Rob, was when we would get to like the Friday before a holiday thing, or this would be Thanksgiving too. We would start, you could kind of take for granted that around like 11 a.m. on that day before the holiday starts, Jason would be like, oh, like everyone should just go home. Like just go home. Like just be done with it. And so we started just like taking those days <laughs> for granted. I remember like once or twice that wouldn't come. And it's like, oh shit, we just kind of took today off thinking, well, surely Jason. Surely Jason. And it. now he's he like, "Let's
1: have a meeting." Yeah. and I'm like, "I'm and not I, at And home. one of us has to
2: be like, "Okay, hey, like one of, someone from Waypoint has to be at that meeting," and then just claim that everyone else is. Yeah. Kato's oh, oh, editing. Rob's yeah, we're doing got things. a piece he's working on. Patrick's on his walking around on his phone. <laughs> like,
1: yeah. So
2: so now it's just weeks off.
1: Yeah, we're just, we way. don't even have to pretend. We're just like we we ain't doing shit. Uh, so, you know, I hope everyone has a, mm-hmm. has a great holiday. If you're, if you're celebrating, uh, and we will be back, uh, with a regular episode in a, in a couple weeks, our theme, our theme music is by two You can check out his work at two you can follow everything we do at Remap Radio on Twitch, Blue Sky, Twitter, YouTube, and other platforms. Once again, we rely on our audience for support, and you can sign up to become a backer by going to RemapRadio.com and following the links and instructions you see there. You can also read articles. Uh, I think this week, Patrick, was this a subscriber-only post about your uh, you gamifying your your driving your, your van? It was.
2: It was, yes. There's a, I wrote an article about I, I'm someone who doesn't like... A lot of emails. I'm, I'm not quite inbox zero, but I, I keep up on it. I like the battery on my phone to be charged up and the battery on my car is very small. And the moment you leave the house, it goes from 100 to 99 to 98 to 97. And you can use the brakes to like claw back a little bit of it. And so I, I wrote about the anxiety over watching this this battery disappear. Uh, uh, Patrick's just rolling around
1: him. Chicago causing chain reaction collisions mm-hmm, behind him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just <laughs> people are like, why did that guy throw on the brakes in the middle of the street? Well, number go up.
2: There Sorry are, about um, your front end. There are other, I, I've become conscious of this, but there are times where I look, I look behind me and it's like, how long can I make this break breaking process go? And it's like, oh, there's someone behind me. I'm going to have to be a normal person about it as opposed to like just slowly breaking for 30 seconds and like watching the percentage move up.
1: Uh, your sport also lets us set a time for streaming this week. Uh, we went, we did some domain shopping pretty unsuccessfully, but maybe we'll see (laughs) something will play, uh, break loose for us. Uh, we also did some wheel of shame. Uh, I, I revisited a war tales save that I'd completely forgotten, uh, and beat up on some beat up on some criminals. I'm sure they deserved it. Uh, then we did a little city skylines and I create, we gave ourselves infinite money, Accidentally activated a tutorial that then wouldn't let us like acknowledge that we built any of the advanced stuff, and so we had to do a bunch. It was anyway, it was a bit of a mess. Uh, we built a huge nuclear power plant that we couldn't use because the you know outlets were in the wrong space. It was, it, it was, it was pretty rough in that, that town. There was sewage kind of pipes,
3: sucked. there was,
1: yeah, uh, but it was, it was a good time. Uh, also, uh, Jan and Patrick uh, streamed Fashion Dreamer. Mm-hmm. And uh, as people are listening to this, perhaps uh, Patrick, you and Kato might be live, right?
2: Yeah. 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 Kato and I are going to be playing uh, the Super Mario RPG remake and the original uh, side, side by side. Um, Kato's going to be playing the original I'm playing the remake. And so, yeah, as you're listening to this, you may be watching, you
1: could be watching us uh, do that. All right, well, we'll be back next week with more Remap Radio stuff, just another now the regular episode. Uh, until then, thanks so much for choosing to spend some of your time with us.